on today's show, we are getting to know for the second time, Dylan. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it And Dylan is a John G. athlete and Kind of my secret man crush Although I make it very public Dylan, thank you for coming on again, man It's I'm excited to catch up with you Sean, it's so good to see you again, man. Aloha. And it's been two years. And there's been so much that's gone on. I'm really stoked to talk to you about, about what I've been doing and how you're doing and really just vibe. Yeah, it, I, I think it's funny, man, because I can't remember when your pod posted, but it had to be around my birthday because the first topic of conversation was you run all these miles, run a mile for every age on your birthday, right? For how old you are. Correct. Right. And that was two years ago. So then when I turned 39, I was like, I'm not making it fucking 39 miles, but I can bike 39 miles. And I did it and I did it again this year at 41 and then later did the 240 for you. Um, but like that for some reason, I've spoken to a lot of people, man, but that for some reason, that like mindfulness of activity and getting lost in your head um, really right. stuck with me, man. I've always appreciated that we, I don't know, it sounds gooberish, like had that moment where I learned that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I don't know how yeah. long I'll keep doing it on my birthday, but I can't imagine like a birthday where I won't be like, fuck man, let me go do something to match my age. Cause I talked to this dude, Dylan, 
from Hawaii. Like it's cool for some reason. That's cool to me. Yeah, it's it's been like I actually listened to that podcast in preparation to talk to you um, today, and I was thinking to myself like, wow, this is like so interesting that I did that, and I still do it. I still run my age for my um, for run my age for every birthday. And it's been actually really hard the last couple of years, like trying to get those miles in, but for the tradition of doing it and like just being introspective with um, how I'm doing and where I'm at in this life and like what my life has looked like, it's like really just transformed it in the best way possible. It reminded me a lot of when I cut grass. <laughs> so I have like a riding mower and you get like an uh-huh. hour and a half and there's that low hum and you kind of have no other choice but to be in your head. I mean, you can listen to music or whatever and I do sometimes, but mm-hmm. you really start to, it's like a meditative process of you get to see where your mind mm-hmm. goes. And then I don't know if it's too woo woo to be like, well, then if my mind is going there, it's going there for a reason, right? Do I need this in my life? Do I want this in my life? And you just start almost like checking in with yourself and the biking gave me a longer time. It gives me a longer time just to like reflect on the year, set goals, reprioritize things, think about how I've prioritized things. And if that sits well with me, it's, um, I don't know, man, for some reason, maybe I just needed it in my life at that point, but it was like a really cool thing that, um, I think is empowering. It's definitely empowering. It, it's super empowering. And what I've, what I've like felt in the last two years since we've talked is like, I've been doing other things on top of running that give me like the opportunity to go into that meditative state. You like hit the nail on the head when you said it's a meditative state in which you are tuning into. It could be gardening or mowing your lawn or shaving your face, just something where it takes deliberate time where you are uh, giving yourself the space to, to think without distraction and and oh, there's this funny podcast. It was like on Google. It was like a Google podcast. I don't know if it's no, it's like a TED talk, but for Google, like the company for Google. And this guy was saying, an addiction is a time where you are able to be away from your self knowledge. Mm-hmm. And anything, anything that you do could, that takes you away from self knowledge can be your addiction. And the only time where you don't have that is like on certain airplanes, you know, because <laughs> you have to be stuck with yourself. And I've been really playing with that idea, like through swimming, through biking, through saunas, and just having that those moments where you can really just reflect on who you are and what you're doing, and being and and in that way you uh, become more intentional. And that's it's been cool. Dude, it's been really cool. Intentional and prioritizing is something I'm definitely working on. Like it's a weird efficiency. It might be a midlife crisis for me. But it's like, do I really need to watch another episode? Is there any perp? Why am I doing that? Right? Like, why do I let Netflix just put on another show for no reason? Right? Why am I scrolling and scrolling? If, am, am I relaxing and I need to relax? That's cool. Let's do it. But then like you right. get this anxiousness of like you're falling behind on other things that you feel are important. Or you're up too late and then the next day it's like a weird tired hangover and you're not – I don't know. You're not feeling as good. You don't want to be as active. You don't eat as well. Something like I've tried to prioritize and less, almost go like minimalistic. That's what I've taken away is like, dude, it's okay to do less. Prioritize, have less balls that you're juggling. 
Yeah, you know, with minute like that idea, like you're not talking about minimalism in the way like having less stuff. You're talking about like just like boiling down what you need to do, and then really focusing on that. And like, is that, I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. You're like boiling down the things that you need to do, and then spending all of your energy and focus on that, and making those really great, like your podcast, for example. And um, you take away going to the bar and just hang out. You just hang out and. Drink, drink some vodka with, with some strangers on, <laughs> on the internet, you know. But that's uh, that's been so important for me too. Is like, just taking distractions away from away from me and just like, what is in my line of vision? Like, what's in my path? And like, how can I get to this goal? And everything that's outside of that path is like stuff you shouldn't even like worry about. Yeah, because it's easy to get caught up in it, right? Like, it's just right. we live in a world that everything is screaming for your attention and it's screaming for your attention in a very targeted way. Algorithms, Mm -hmm. cookies, and people fucking get paid to figure out how to make you want to do stuff that they want you to do (laughs) and influence you. And you have to like fight that about like, I don't know. It's that's kind of matrixy on my part, but I feel that's more real now than ever with the way that everything's tracked and everything's a formula. So you get yeah. influenced in all these subtle ways where you used to just influence yourself. What do I want to do today mm-hmm. versus what should I be doing today kind of a thing? Yeah, you know, the, I, I don't think it's a matrixy thing because I think you're right. There's so many, there's so many ways. I think it's almost a flex for you to like read a book or to journal or, or like, <laughs> uh, you know, like write on – like write – pen to paper onto things because it's so automated now and it's so digitalized that you don't have to you don't have to be away from your phone like you can use your phone you can use your computer for everything and when you're able to do things that are like quote unquote like abnormal like not scanning a QR code and reading a menu right at a restaurant it's like it changes the whole atmosphere of things and uh we don't we just it's it's crazy cuz covid just made that more relevant for us. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I should have studied it because I do get interested in like the sociology aspect of it. Phones are great, but there's something about those fucking things that do not bring people together in a group setting. There's nothing like, like even just your focus on the scan and figuring out versus just a paper menu where it's like your eye line can meet other people. And it's easier to share versus the phone. I don't, the menu thing is a great point because everything is on there. And it, it takes away, phones take away from this sense of friendship, community. Dude, I hate QR codes at restaurants. <laughs> I'm like, I, don't, I love like leaving my phone in the car so I can just have a, like a meal with my friends and my family or my girlfriend yeah. and not need my phone. But now I say, oh, I got to bring my phone so I can see the QR code and like, read through the menu and like after you're done reading through the menu what are you gonna do because it's like habit you scroll instagram and you scroll facebook yeah and it's and it's tough because you know like there used to be that game where you would like leave your phone on top of your other friend's phone and like you stack it and whoever like grabs their phone first like has to pay the bill have you ever heard of that uh, game no. <laughs> no say there's like five of you and you all have phones right you stack all of them on top of each other whoever grabs their phone first like like get distracted from the, the meal of the conversation, I would have to pay the bill. 
And you can't do that game anymore because it's like the defense is, well, I need to see the QR code now. And it's um, it's sad. And, and for me, like, especially with community and especially with what I'm doing now with my life, with um, emphasis in community, it's like we're losing that. We're losing this, like, social the social aspect of our humanity and we need to keep that and it's so important to keep that part of us it's funny that so many people feel that way and yet it's still this very real fear it's like don't we have control we do have control over that right we can just choose right. um so it's and i hear that pretty often even the awareness from younger people when they're like this doesn't feel right but then it just keeps happening <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you would know way more than me in the school system, but my fear, my, so without any knowledge of how the school system works, my fear is that kids are becoming socially retarded because they're not able to um, group up together. They're not able to do like normal kids things. They're playing video games more often. There's like virtual reality now, you know, the kids aren't going outside and playing kickball and yeah. and like scraping their knees or any of those yeah. things anymore. dude it's it's rare um if they are um i will say the thing that i've noticed is twofold um one is nobody researches they just google so it's an immediate mm -hmm. i'll google that to find out and like there's no value on memory it's just value on access mm -hmm. to an internet if that makes sense there's no value on knowledge like what you were saying about a book you can read a book and be enjoying it that's great but like to recall facts and speak about a topic in depth, when kids research, they just Google and the first couple things they see, that's the truth to them. And then that's what they tell you. And it's like, no, well, what about your thoughts about what Rosa Parks did? And you're like, well, she was super important to the civil rights movement because she was the first African-American who was right. And you're like, well, was she the first? And they're like, I, I don't know, that's what it said. You're like, well, how much did you read? So it's immediate Google and not like this depth, not like, you're not swimming in the pool, you're skimming the pool, right? The kids don't get wet, they just surface top. And the second thing that they're so fearful of is judgment. Because think about how people post. It's, it's controlled. How right. many selfies do you take right. before you put it up? How many videos do you, I've been doing this fucking stupid um, afterthought after the pod thing, I did it twice and I'm like, hey, maybe this will be a thing, I don't know, like I'll, maybe I'll help me with Instagram or something. And dude, I looked the other side, I had like 11 videos before I had the one minute clip that I was like, that's it. Dude, that's crazy. And you're like, yeah. I'm a secure individual. I'm up in front of people all the time, but like I'd mess up or I'd be like, ah, oh, I didn't say that clear, whatever. I can't imagine if I was 12. So now if I get in front of a class, <laughs> if I get in front of a class and I have zero control over my presentation when on social media, I have complete control over how I'm presented. That's scary for kids. And those are the two things, the Googling and the fear of just being you without being able to control mm -hmm. how you're perceived. It's, um, that's what I worry about. Sorry, that was a soapbox. Okay. I'll stand down. No, no, there's, there's another thing I want to add to this. And I think <laughs> it's like, I can talk about this for hours, but the, the last thing that's like related to this is attention span. And we're noticing that the shorter videos on TikTok are are the ones that gain the most views. So people are like becoming groomed to have like the short attention spans of ten to fifteen seconds. They don't want to watch the YouTube video that's you know 
10 minutes long or 15 minutes long, like God forbid 30 minutes long. Like they need the short snippets of like, this is really cool to like watch like someone like cook, you know, cook popcorn. And then it's really cool to see someone gardening. Okay, it's really cool to see this dance video. And it's all this different information short circuited into like, like a three minute, three minute window where like versus someone watching a YouTube video on the same thing for, you know, 10 minutes. And so it's really scary. It's scary for me, like someone who has to like post Instagram videos to get paid and whatever, like the best videos that I've made were the ones that were 10 seconds or shorter. Yeah. It and does. that's just not who I am. <laughs> and, I've, and, I've, and I've noticed that. I've noticed that even for myself is like my attention span gets shorter because I watch reels. So I stop, like I try my best not to like even watch reels now on Instagram. Yeah, it's weird because that's the commercial thing too, right? So commercials were... I think they figured out 30 seconds or less was the ideal for a commercial. Um, somebody studied that. Right. And now that's even developed. And I want to be like, from a scientific, this is so stupid. We're, we're totally rambling at this point. But like, from an evolutionary <laughs> standpoint, would we keep doing it if it were bad for us? Maybe we're fearful of the change, but maybe it's actually a really good thing because... Why is attention span getting shorter? If that actually was bad for us, wouldn't we like die off from it and other things would conquer the earth and then we wouldn't be around and they would have longer attention spans. Maybe that is some primitive thing that's getting unlocked within us to help us dominate the universe. Having shorter attention spans. Absolutely. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> for maybe hunting and gathering, perhaps like, I'm just thinking, like evolution, like, I don't know. Everyone says like, oh, it's terrible. And I'm like, well, if it's terrible, why does it keep happening? Wouldn't just the universe or evolution take that trade out? Maybe, okay, well, because it unlocks the, uh, the dopamine center of your brain of, of reward, correct? When you get like likes and you get views and you get people like who interact with you. And it's like, this dopamine system gets activated and it's just addictive, perhaps. Yeah, I, I'm not, a, I don't have my doctorate in psychology, but um, I have some knowledge of that. And I think that's kind of what that train of thought is like, how can I get these people addicted to this in whatever way so that I can get more, get more content views and like get people more addicted. And it's so easy. Like they're the people who are engineering Instagram are geniuses and they get me every time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was... Um, what was it? Facebook's the, um, fuck, I can't remember it. It was a Netflix show. He's been on the Rogan podcast. I think it was like 20 dudes that figured out basically how to keep you on a screen. Like it was something as simple as the autoplay of a next video that took a while mm -hmm. to develop. And then they figured, Oh my God, if we just make the next video play, don't even give them an option. We get 30 more minutes of you're on our, you're in our device. And it's, it's nuts. Yeah. It's, um, but that's what they, that's how they get paid. And then the more subscribers they have, the more data they mine, the more money they get. Right. It's, it's an evil genius. Yeah. So how do we combat this, Sean? How yeah. have you combat? Yeah. Right. This? Dude, for me with my kid, I was thinking about it. Say she brought her um, phone to the beach the other day and I almost threw her in the ocean with it. I was like, dude, like we go to the beach, we read books, we lay down, we go in the waves, you know, you're kind of getting on boards now. Like, 
would play whatever frisbee you'd play stupid games like guaranteed three four hours away from a screen right guaranteed and then she brought her phone and i i don't um she doesn't have like a she doesn't have internet so she has to be on wi-fi for it to connect there's no wi-fi out there so she downloaded a playlist she's got a little ear pod airpod in and she's laying on her surfboard listening to a playlist and i'm like fucking oceans right there get outside (laughs) yeah go do something you know so like physical activity to me is like the Mm -hmm. way to kind of combat that because it's cool to go for a run and you can listen to some music but i feel like your mind doesn't stay in the music i feel like your the music drains out and you get in sync with your body when you're doing physical activity that's sustained that's longer than 10 to 15 seconds right like most physical activity is longer than that at least ever since I hit 40, my physical activity is longer than 10 to 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Dude. Same here. Ultra marathon running's helped me out with that too. <laughs> um, but I, I'm like, aside from that, I don't know um, what else forces or encourages you to not have, not, not be susceptible to an app that is designed to keep you zoned in on it it's called discipline yeah yeah discipline is where it comes down to i want dude i i always i don't know i tend to start off rambling getting idealistic i would like to catch up a little bit on your discipline because the last thing i thought after the last pod it was mount everest and covid fucked that up for you and then i know there were videos of you at mount everest but i don't know what actually happened and i'm super interested to know is it really as trashy as i've heard where it's just littered that mount everest is actually disgusting okay Wait, so no, it's not mount everest no yeah mount everest yeah mount everest yeah okay. so i um i've been to everest base camp two times sorry four times three or four times now just to base camp and covid messed up um, COVID messed up the fact that I, I was bringing like 10 people with me and I wasn't able to bring all 10. I only brought one other person with me. So out of the 10, only two of us. And, um, when I went there, it, you know, there's so many different coalitions in the area and organizations that are working to make these like big cement trash cans where you just dump trash in it. But, uh, is there trash everywhere still? Yeah, there are. There's a lot of trash still. Um, but there, it's being it's being addressed in the best way you can when you're at like s- such a high elevation. It's really hard to like um, to get rid of it. You know, you have to pick it up. And but people are working like really hard, even at the death zone level, um, to pick up trash. Gotcha. I, it's awesome. such like a random thing. I just remember reading some like. Uh... It wasn't historical fiction, but it was basically a kid that was climbing. And um, that was something that got brought up in the book. And then I start Googling around, reading articles. You're like, wow, that's a real thing. Like, it's this beautiful, it's the ultimate selfie, the ultimate picture, right? The ultimate scene. And like the ironic thing is it's fucking littered to the T's. Like the the people are like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it can be like disgusting. Like cities, New York City is cleaner than some right. of these trails that stuff that people leave and i'm like no it can't be yeah i don't i actually don't know about the new york city thing i do know <laughs> there's a lot of shit there's a lot of shit just around it's pretty gross 
have I have I contributed to the shit around? Yes, I have. It's hard. It's like, um, but the thing is, like, ah, oh, man, this this is a whole politics of it. Like all these like rich and tired people go up the mountain. They want the thing. They don't take. They're like not even like the the type of people who like so, a lot of times they're not the type of people who care about nature. They care about the prestige or the reputation of it. They have the money for it, so it's like not a big deal for them to to litter and stuff but like i said there are some people who are really speaking out about it now to like get uh everest cleaner and just just that whole area to be a lot a lot nicer it's a weird thing to think about just from a societal infrastructure standpoint of trash and like you take it for granted that you have a trash company comes and gets trash or you could take it to a dump and like there's Mm -hmm. roads and there's trucks and there's dudes we pay and people that you pay and they haul it away for you and it's like how do you do that when you can die how do you do that when you have to get acclimated? When you have to like go up a little bit? Okay, my blood's right. Let me go down a little bit, picking it up. Okay, now let me go back up a little bit. Like you just can't. It's not feasible to have that kind of infrastructure up there. So it is a weird paradox. How come they? How come it's not like a carry in, carry out? Like why did you contribute? How come you didn't just carry it with you? Um, I contributed with poop, really. I didn't. I didn't contribute like I. You know, I brought my own water bottles. I brought like um, big Nalgene. You know, what Nalgene's are those big plastic water bottles. Okay. They're they're BPA free. Um, and I brought a water filter, so I'd never bought like bottle water, like uh, like one single use plastic water bottles. And I really try to limit, you know, like eating Oreos and Snickers and stuff like that. Things that create a lot of trash. Mm. However. Um, I haven't summited Everest yet, but I I would assume it's just really tiring, you know, and like the more weight on you, um, the harder it is. Like I've heard Everest is like pulling, uh, it's like pulling a truck is what it feels like. Like you're pulling a truck with a rope. It's like, that's the same type of, um, physical exertion you're needing. So like, you know, every little ounce of weight can really play into that. And it's also like, it, it comes into values like who's going to want to carry that who's going to want to who's going to want to carry my trash and there there are people who you can pay to carry your trash down and up for you as well no but, way yeah there's you know like it's easy it's easy as americans to think about that because a lot of us are a lot more centered around like cleaner environments and stuff but different cultures have different different ways of being too nepalis litter a lot I, and I don't want to like get thrown under the bus if any Nepalis read this. But I've lived in Nepal and I've seen people throw trash everywhere because there's just no infrastructure for it. Yeah, there's no recycling places. There's no like garbage cans or anything like that. So you know you just have to be really smart about it and like have the education to to be uh, to be more conservative with with your um, your waste your weight just waste in general. Yeah, I wonder if being around, and this is just total speculation, but I think about this with the ocean and like that great garbage patch. And I'm like, if you go to the ocean and whatever, you're out like deep sea fishing and you have a beer can, you throw it in the ocean. You're like, it's the ocean. What's one beer can? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if part of it is just being the being around the enormity of a mountain and being like, what's this little bit of trash compared to this summit 
this rock here, this mile, right. the miles on miles on miles, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, what does it matter? And I wonder if that somehow that, uh, that scale, um, right. affects the mentality or if yeah, it's as that, simple as I, infrastructure. <laughs> I think, but it's not, it's not beer canned. And it's like the thing that I've been seeing a lot is like big oxygen tanks are being left up there. Oh, wow. Oxygen tanks are just discarded after it's used and like they're just thrown out there. It's like, why would it bring an oxygen tank down when it's, when it's done? And uh, it's, a, it's, you know, I wish I was an expert at, at this, um, at, at this stuff, but I just know like human nature and human nature has a tendency to be lazy. People will leave their fucking shopping carts in the parking lot rather than return it. So why do you think they wouldn't like like throw their their trash away on Everest? You know, yeah. when we cart. see uh, when we see a hundred percent of Americans putting their shopping cart away, we can start to expect all of humans to like pick up their trash in Everest Base Camp. But until we get that, we can't we can't have. It's you a, know you know what I mean. It, it's a flex. Like you're talking about, like reading a book is a flex. Like mm -hmm. I park purposefully far away. Like, dude, I'm talking about like, I take, try to take some of the furthest spot. Like it's a minute and a half walk to get to the supermarket after I park and the park, there are plenty mm -hmm. of spaces and I walk my cart out there and then I unload. And as I'm pushing it back, I'm looking around for people to be looking at me and to admire me to have the discipline <laughs> to walk my cart all the way back. I do it on purpose as a flex now, actually, now that you bring that up, I'm like, yeah. I am that fucking vain. It's, it's hilarious. Well, good for you because, <laughs> but I do because some people don't. Like everyone listening to this, like if you want to, if you want to reach any goal in life, if you want to climb Mount Everest, you want to run two hundred forty miles, if you want to bike two hundred forty miles in five days, first step is put your fucking shopping cart away. That's it. It's that period. Simple. End of podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> Dude, it is, it is, but it, no, I don't know. There's, that was the thing with COVID too. Like you really think people are going to wear masks if we can't even put shopping carts away. And like the shopping cart right. thing got used and it really is a test because part of it too, it's almost like, um, leaving trash in the movie theater. We're like, oh, somebody, mm -hmm. somebody gets paid to sweep that up. It's like, yeah. Or you could take it with you and walk by the trash can and drop it off. Like just be respectful yeah. of the environment that you're in kind of a thing. Right. Right. There is that. Um, being respectful of the environment it's it's just but it's also just for you like you if you leave your trash in the movie theater you are creating a habit for yourself where other people are taking care of you you don't become self-sufficient mm. in that way you become reliant in the worst ways possible i'm not saying self-sufficiency is the best thing in the world because i i believe that being reliant on your community and like your family is like also a very important thing to have. However, there's a certain amount. If you can do it, try your best to do it. Yeah, you know, why not? if you need help, ask for help. And, and you, that just builds your own confidence in yourself. Like, why are you at like, Oh my God, we're going to go down another rabbit hole. But <laughs> I just, I just know that people don't have the, again the discipline to take care of themselves as much as and i'm seeing this decline in um even in hawaii where people just don't take care of themselves they don't take care of their stuff they don't take care of their yards they don't take care of their health and it just hurts them they're waiting for someone to save them 
Yeah, that's that's why. Why are we? That, I feel like we've been way too negative. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I feel like my old man boomer stuff has vibed to you through the internet. Maybe I do have powers <laughs> on the internet. I do send vibes. Um, do well, you, no, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. If you want to continue to be negative? I'm here. To, I'm here to listen no, to no. you. <laughs> no, I just I uh, I've been so inspired by like God, David Goggins and. Cameron Haynes and all of these like knuckle draggers. Is that the term knuckle draggers where you're like, you're just badass, right? Yeah, I think it's, it goes from the military, but Goggins, I listened to Goggins when I was doing the bike thing. I um, downloaded his book right. um, to listen to it. It's a crazy ass story. Right. Yeah, he has a crazy story and kind of like similar to my story a little bit, but he, um, yeah, I just, I really believe um, now in like what, what grit and hard work and discipline can do for you, do for you. And I, I will take that to the grave because of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's what good, great people do who want to accomplish things. And it's a weird, um, it's a weird thing that we try to set up in society, at least in, I guess in American society, we try to set up these like social safety nets for the worst times, but the terrible thing is when people become dependent on them and that is their lifetime. And it's like, mm-hmm. you don't, I, I don't want a fucking society full of people that needed a safety net for their lifetime. And it's, um, it's easy to get caught up into that because it's so easy to get whatever, free Wi-Fi, free entertainment, free food. And like, it's shit. You don't get any options. And all it does is make mm-hmm. you sicker and probably lessen your life expectancy. And it's like, you don't need to run. You don't need to walk. Here's a car. We got public transportation that's for free and we'll take you there. It's like, or maybe you could wake up 30 right. minutes early and take a 15 minute walk somewhere and you'll feel great as you do it. You'll get to think on things and plan your day. And now you're motivated. Like, ah, I could sleep in another 10. <laughs> like yeah no it shouldn't be that way there's something about humans where we're supposed to like conquer i think we are supposed to be fucking like knuckle draggers in that instance where it's like dude i'm dominant i'm a fucking apex predator this is my (laughs) fucking world like that type of shit i think it's in most people and it sucks that society can like suck it out of you and people let it it's weird people let it yeah they it's uh, it's it. like you're it's like you're being castrated, <laughs> dude. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm trying to find a silver light, silver lining, and like some ounce of positivity that people could take away from this. But um, <laughs> something that I've heard from uh, Jordan Peterson, um, who has like really interesting ideas, is like is this idea of like the more responsibility you have in life the better your life will be. And it sounds like, you know, it sounds kind of, it sounds like a hard life to have a lot of responsibility, but on the, on the negative side, would you rather have a lot of, a lot of responsibility or would you rather have no responsibility? And I guess, I guess that you have to take your temperament into account for it. But for me, (laughs) the more responsibility I have, the happier I am the more connected I am, the more dependent I am, the more, um, fit I am. And, and those are great. Those are great things. And, you know, and I, I, uh, this is, this is, again, is coming from someone who doesn't, I've done a little bit of reading about this, but with, um, with the, the first nations people with, um, 
getting getting a fixed income for and like getting no getting a getting basically free money it's like they don't have to do anything they don't have to work they don't have to they just the government was giving free money and then it just doesn't does doesn't help them and their like sense of uh sense of fulfillment in life and that that's something i want to really steer away from yeah i to me, I like the idea of responsibility because, right, it's part of why I think I try to stay active is because I feel like I have a responsibility mm-hmm. to my daughter and hopefully to her children to be able to be fit and not be a burden. And then when I do become a burden at some point in my life, because hopefully I've earned that right, I've given enough to her where <clears throat> like she's accepting. And every time it sucks that I'm fucking out of my mind and doing weird old man dad shit. She's like, yeah, but for like whatever, 80 years of his life, he always blanked, right? I need to go somewhere. He was down. Friends coming over. All right, man, let's play, right? Like just constantly trying to provide and like not only just provide crap, but like provide quality, you know? Hey man, your friend's coming over. All right, man, let's make like quality food. I'm not just like picking up fast frozen pizzas and throwing them in if I can help it. Like we're going to make some like decent shit. It's going to be a moment. And I think that for some reason, I don't know, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel accomplished. It makes me feel like I'm serving, but I want to be fit enough to serve. I don't right. know. You know, and I think that's what yeah. the responsibility does is it gives you accomplishment. And for some reason, we're like hardwired to appreciate accomplishment. It's like people want accomplishments. We love shiny shit, right? Like medals and ribbons. And it's like mm-hmm. we like to have. And I think that's, I don't know if, if just like we like breathing, I think we like accomplishments mm-hmm. and responsibility gets you those. There was a, I forget. I don't remember where I heard this saying this past week. It was so funny though. It was uh, and it made so much sense in my life, but no one cares about a tree until it's got fruit. <laughs> you know, like who cares about this? Like it's mango season right now in Hawaii and it's going off right now. No one cares about that that tree until it provides something for you. And I've, I've noticed that with, uh, you know, with my running career, like people didn't give a fuck about me running my age, running my age every birthday until running my age for my birthday became me running ultra marathons and, and not even until I ran ultra marathons, but until I started like getting sponsorships is when people started to care about me. Um, that and it's just sucks. funny. It's a funny, um, it's funny, but, that's how it goes, I think. I'm glad. Wait, was I one of the people that didn't care, or was I on the ground floor? I just want to. Dude, you were you were uh, you were there when I was just a little sapling. You're stoked. You're <laughs> watering. You're awesome, man. A little watering. Yeah. <laughs> dude, that's yeah, that's that's tough, man. That's tough because now I'm like thinking back and like maybe like even relationship trust issues that can be within you. And it fucks with me. Like I have a hard time trusting people because I'm like, are you really there for me? Or is it just what I can provide for you that makes you here for me? Yeah. Yeah. But we live in a, <laughs> I think that's a form of capitalism that, but I think that form of capitalism is important. It's like, if we are these people who live in a symbiotic community, there needs to be a give and take and there should be a give and take. Yeah. Sometimes the, the sometimes it's more taking than giving and sometimes it's more giving than taking. But uh, I, I 
fully believe in karma. I do well unto you. It will come back tenfold. Um, not maybe not from that person, but it will come back in some other way. And I and that's just I'm not a Buddhist, but or Hindu, but I just believe that that karma does come come back for you in that way. Because I wrote the words Everest on my notes, I want to go back with the running part because that is kind of the thing. And was that the point of going to Everest? Because you said you never summited. I, I never even knew the point of you actually going over there. What was the point? Uh, the point was I want to summit Everest. You know, I want to be the first person from Guam to do that. Um, the first person from Guam, the first Chamorro. Chamorro is the indigenous people of Guam. And my goal is to be the first Chamorro to do it. And, um, you know, I wanted to get to Everest Base Camp just to get my feet wet, to see what it's like to uh, be at, you know, whatever it is, 16 and a half or 17,000 feet elevation. And um, just be in that environment. I wanted to get inspired by the people going. You know, I met really cool and amazing people when I was there were doing the same trek as me but when i finished my trek they were going you know another twelve thousand feet higher and and it just like makes things feel more real for me you know i live in hawaii and i live on like i live close to the beach and like it's irrelevant like nepal is is so far away from me right now and it doesn't like it's not tangible but i when i was in everest base camp i could see the mountain i could see the top it's like oh i can see the top of it so i can do this you know and um also, I just love Nepal. I love traveling and I love just going, going out there. I remember some of the running videos and I wasn't sure, um, honestly, what the point was because I thought that was going to be your, like I thought for a while there you were going to do something stupid at the top like a car wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I kept waiting for it. And then you were like just gone from there. And I was like, I wonder why he went. Um yeah, it's, so is that common? Like, do people just go there? I know you have to get acclimated, but I thought when mm -hmm. you went, was it like a funds thing that you're running out of money or was it a time thing? Or was that just the plan to get inspired, come back and now, okay, I know how I feel. I know what it'll take to get up there. Or I think I know what it'll take to get up there. Well, well, for me, it was like this, this hope, this blind hope that if I do this, good things will happen to me. And I, um, you know, I got, I went there, got some pictures, got some videos, was able to send this to people, send these pictures to people, like basically like emailing, like cold call emails to random people with me at base camp saying, hey, my name is Dylan Kittigua. I'm, I'm a ultra marathon runner and I wanna be the first tomorrow to climb Mount Everest. Here's a picture of me running. Here's a picture of me at Everest base camp. Would you help me? Would you sponsor me? And I went through that with so many different people and having, having credibility to show like, oh, this guy's serious because he's been to base camp now three or four times and he's actually serious about this. Look, he's already, he's already wearing my sunglasses. We should give him some Maui gems because he's already wearing Maui gems at base camp. We can trust this guy versus a guy on the beach. Like, like, I'm a, like a guy on the beach emailing you saying, I want to climb Everest base camp does not, uh, or I want to climb Everest is not the same as someone being at Everest Base Camp with the same the same message. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to raise funds. I'm trying to find sponsorships. I'm trying to create relationships with 
people on the mountain and I want to just understand where it is. And I want my, my lungs to get stronger um, at higher altitudes because in Hawaii, it's super hard, especially on my island, to get anywhere above 3,000 feet elevation. Yeah, I when I go for jogs, I max out at 56 feet unless I hit a really good sand dune. <laughs> Shit. Dude, it's, that's what I was telling you about the bike ride. Um, but we went to, um, when I went to Denver, which is just what, 5,000 feet above? And I yeah, did, I 65. jogged. I mean, like, I was, I was, I didn't know that I wasn't going that fast. I felt whatever, like I'm on like a 7.30 a mile pace. And I look down mm-hmm. and it's like nine minutes. And I'm like, what the hell, man? I like it. It, it was a, the weirdest thing where I felt so tired, but it accomplished nothing like I had. So I can't imagine the different, like you at least get to 3000, but that's still what five times as less just from the base. And what does Everest right. top out at 28, 28,000? 29 something. Yeah. I don't know the, the last three. Yeah. So that's 10 times. Like you need a 10 mm-hmm. times as high to get um, used to that. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I, um, I get scared a lot of times because I'm thinking to myself, what if I can't do this? What if I'm, uh, um, my genetics aren't made for it because every single time I've been to base camp, I've had a horrible headache. I was super dehydrated. I was not like, I did not do well every single time. And so I have this fear in the back of my head, like maybe I can't do this, but I have a plan. I have, I have like my mental fortitude and like I run a lot and I really try to like build myself up mentally through running to like really, you know, really like for me running is a way for me to like get, get my mental strength up. Like I know running and mountain climbing are very different things, but the thing that connects the two, one of the things that connects the two is the fact that you need mental discipline and you need to be able to push through hard hard parts and you need to be able to understand your body. Um, yeah. I'm the same. It's the same thing for with biking or whatever, swimming or whatever you're doing. When you're feeling this way at base camp, any kind of like medicines, is it pretty common? I'm thinking for some reason, like seasick popped into my head when people get on like cruises and all of a sudden they just mm-hmm. want to puke. Is it common yeah. <laughs> what you're feeling and you can push through or is it like, fuck man, I'm going to die if I push through? There, yeah, you can die. There are two major illnesses up there, um, which is HAPES, which is a high altitude pulmonary edema. And then there's uh, CAPES, which is a, or, or HACE. HACE is high altitude cerebral edema and high altitude pulmonary edema. And this is like, like your lungs and your brain and, and like I, I'm again I'm not like super savvy medically but it has to do with like water getting into your lungs water getting into your brain mm-hmm. um, when you're at, t- at too high of altitudes and you're pushing too hard but there are telltale signs when you're um, when you're feeling altitude sickness at any level and for me altitude sickness looks like a really bad headache dizziness um, I haven't had shortness of breath, but for it's just terrible, terrible headaches. It really feels like I'm hungover. Mm. And uh, one time I was drinking too much, and I got super drunk and just laid down. This is after uh, base camp. I was like, "Oh my god, this is like exactly what I felt at base camp. I'm just training right now." 
<laughs> there it is, dude. You figured it out. You like pound yeah. a case of beer and then go run up a mountain. And you're like yeah. the next day. And that's, what are you doing? What's Dylan doing? Training for Everest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I, 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 if you ever want to go to Everest Base Camp, I got you, Sean. So. Let me know. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like we can, I'll, I'll take you. It'll be free. Just pay for your food and your flight. You're good. That's it. <laughs> Dude, how much does it cost to climb Everest? Is there a ballpark or are there like elite VIP packages? Cause you were talking about like people going up and getting your trash. So I'm wondering like, are there tiers yeah. or is it just one flat cost? Yeah, there are tiers to it. And the one that I was looking at doing was with, uh, with a very famous mountaineer. Um, I'm not going to tell you his name because I'm not going to climb with him anymore, but he charges around $120,000. And, uh, yeah, it's insane. But so right now that's the financial struggle for me that the the money is a whole nother mountain. I need to climb before I even get the chance to climb Everest, but I've heard it as low as $30,000. So, so you go with somebody who charges one, not you in general, or not you specifically, I'm just speaking in general. People would choose the 120 guy because it's like the safety. So like when you're feeling a headache, mm-hmm. he just has that rep where the $30,000 guy, you're like, he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, yo, I got rope. We're going. Kind of a thing. Like, no, How is there that much of a disparity? The disparity comes in um, style of accommodation, equipment, how much equipment, you know, how much oxygen you'll get, how many guides you will have, how many people are supporting you, and at what level are they helping you get things like the permit, which the permit's around $11,000. Um, just, just a, the, I want you to guess how much the drone permit costs. A drone permit? Yeah, like to, to fly a drone. Just when you're at base camp? When you're, when you're, when you're climbing Everest. I can't believe they even have a fucking drone permit. So they have people there who like shoot drones out of the sky. That's the job I want. I want to be a drone sniper yeah. on Everest. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's set up a grand, two grand. A grand. Okay. A grand. How much did I just say the, the humans permit is? 11. Right. The drone permit is also $11,000. Stop, dude. <laughs> Isn't that insane? <laughs> and that just goes to the government or like, is the mountain owned by like a private company? Is that why it costs no, so much? It's, Are there no, it's taxes? a national park. Okay. Yeah. It's a national park and the government gets that money. Um, and so there's things like you need to get the permit and you can pay a company to do all of that for you. However, I speak Nepali and I can get my own permit. I can get my own accommodation. I just need someone to like guide me from base camp to top like that I, I don't need anything else um and so yeah just that i'm i want to like i'm raising on my um on my gofundme i'm raising 150,000 because that includes the other mountains that i need to climb as well like and next year i plan to climb uh lobuche which is a 22,000 foot mountain and so it's it's fair, it's quite expensive but i'm hoping now that I'm not climbing with this guy, I want to find a cheaper, a cheaper route, you know, but this, this guy, he's a, 
I'll just say his name, but he's Nims. Nims uh, has this record of like not having any of his clients die, and all of his clients have kept all their fingers and their toes, which is unheard of. Really? Yeah, a hundred a hundred percent success rate and a hundred percent rate of keeping all customers intact. What's like the hundred thousand dollar guy at? Like ninety five percent. Like, when do you, how do you start quantifying value of toes and fingers versus like skimping to save 70 grand? Well, you know, well, this guy, he's, he's, uh, you know, at this point people climb with him because of fame, you know, he's been on Joe Rogan. He has, uh, he has his own Netflix movie. And so at this point it's like climb with celebrity Uh... at the same time, you're going to be really safe. So I mean, he's a badass for sure, but um, I just don't want to climb with him anymore. Why is he such a badass? Like, what sets him apart where he's able to keep people um, safe and with their phalanges, with their digits? Well, he has a, he has the equivalent of the Europeans. Um, the, you know, he's like the equivalent of a Navy SEAL, but for Europe, for the UK. So he has all of the special operative training as well as like a high level of fitness. He's also like gung ho as fuck. Um, very brave. Um, he really had like, a, like as a chip on his shoulder, like really able to push past things. And but um, wouldn't that be bad for people climbing? I feel like all those traits, like I would not want David Goggins leading me up Everest. Cause I'm like, I can't fucking keep up with you, dude. Like you're an animal, you're a savage. How am I? gonna be safe with you you can't stop me from getting frostbite just because you're so fucking intense <laughs> yeah you're you bring a good you bring in a good point like for sure he is like someone that probably won't be able to empathize with you um however he has specific training from the military that can like in terms of like communication and and and, and leadership that i think makes him like more superior however you know i think there is that he is pompous um and he has like this he can be he can have this air of like being better than people so i see that being deadly and dangerous however there's his statistics of having a hundred percent success rate is also like you can't argue with it yeah, I do wonder how common that is. And now that I'm like thinking about it, I've also seen pictures where it's just like there's like a traffic jam mm-hmm. as you're trying to go into that death zone for the summit right. where right. you only get such a window, right? And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, if you don't make it up there past the people in front of you, sorry. And then you have to yeah, go down. Yeah, you got to go back down. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's um that that picture you're talking about, there's a specific picture that you're talking about for the traffic jam. That happened on a rare occasion that Nims himself took that photo of. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, that guy that guy I'm talking about, he's the one who took that specific photo and people were super pissed off at him because that was like, it's not a normal thing, but people made it out to be like, this happens every day on Everest, like this bottlenecking phenomenon, which actually doesn't happen. Um, apparently, you know, I don't, this is, this is what he says in his book. He has a book. He has, you know, he, he talks about that, um, that specific photo. 
they didn't he didn't get credit for. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't notice him. I can't believe I don't um hear the name. Dude, that's or I didn't recognize the name. I had not considered how real was the death consideration for you? Like I don't do much shit. Like I I I don't surf. I cannot surf. I get on a <clears> surfboard <throat> and try to like ride it in a little bit. It's a foam board because I'm that much of a bitch, right? <laughs> And there yeah. are times I'm in the ocean where I literally consider my mortality with some waves. And we're not talking, dude, I'm on Delaware. We're not talking anything severe, but it's, it's weird to me to feel it. Cause I don't normally feel it. It's very rare to feel like death is imminent and I have to consider mm -hmm. death in my decisions. I go for a five mile jog in a hundred degree heat with a bunch of humidity. I never think I'm going to die. I'm like, All right. okay, I'll just walk. If I get tired, I'll be fine. But right. I'm wondering for you, man, how serious as a super fit ultra athlete, how serious of a consideration was death? Like, do you actually think you could die on Everest? Um, Loaded question, I know, right? Now, I don't do... No. Is that like a jinx you question? I don't want to put like bad juju out there. Not at all. I, I'm very open about talking about this. Let's put it this way. Um, when I decided to climb Mount Everest, I decided to create my living memorial to myself um it's in my mom's backyard and it's a big ass garden you might have seen pictures on my instagram or something but i'm creating this huge garden with like I'm trying to put like 40 banana trees and like 40 feet of um dragon fruit vines and like just trying to make this amazing lush garden because if i die i need my i need a legacy <laughs> and my legacy is um this garden um, is it super, is it super realistic that people die on Everest? Yes. How is it lower now in 2021 or 2022? Excuse me. Yeah, it's a lot lower. I'm not worried about it, but I have thought about it. I've talked to my girlfriend about it, you know, and, um, but it's the same thing, man. Like I go out into the ocean too. I go for a swim and like, I think about it too. So I could die today. Like I could die getting on my I could die driving to work, you know, and so I, I really think about the fact that, you know, I don't have kids and I do have a girlfriend, but I do believe that we're all going to die anyways. So why don't I just do something that's like meaningful in that and I, hope I never hope asked the best. But like, why is the Everest thing so meaningful to you? Why do you want to conquer rocks? <laughs> why do you want to dominate rocks? <clears throat> Yeah, so I um, I had a friend in high school, in college who was a ultra marathon runner. He's the only guy I've ever met who would run these 100-mile races. And the time that I've known him, <clears throat> I think he had done two. And this guy was like a hero to me. He's like, oh, my God, this guy's running 100 miles. So I can't believe that. It's so crazy. And um, this is before I ran my first 100. But uh, he... He was like this inspiration to me, and I asked him, I was like, hey, uh, his name is Kevin. I said, hey, Kevin, do you uh, do you want to climb Everest? Like, you're already like this super fit athlete. Like, why not? And uh, he said no and everything. I didn't realize until later that, like, most people who are ultramarathon runners, you know, they're, they're not super fit in other areas of life. Kevin is... is that was already in my head. Like, if you can run 100 miles, you can climb Everest. And so for me, subconsciously thinking, it's like, 
I can, if I can run hundred miles, I can climb Mount Everest. And so, you know, it took me like maybe three years to run my first hundred or two years to run my first uh, hundred, but it just felt like it was already in my brain and my subconscious to want to do it. And then on top of that, you know, growing more into my own culture and more, more into like who I am as a person, I started to realize like people from the Pacific islands don't run ultra marathons. People who are from Pacific islands don't really climb obviously. And so why can't I just be like this like beacon or like this, this trailblazer to doing something new that would inspire other people from Guam and Hawaii to do other cool shit. <clears throat> and, and so it became like this mission of mine where like, I just wanted to trailblaze for Guam and for, and for uh, Pacific Islanders to do cool shit that it's really hard to do and to know that they are capable of doing these things. And maybe even if they don't climb Mount Everest, they'll put their fucking shopping cart away. <laughs> so your life will be fulfilled if your, what did you call it? Legacy garden produces bananas and mangoes. And if you never see a lone shopping cart in the middle of a parking lot, done. Pop you know, over. you know, even, even less than that, if people just put their shopping cart away, I'd be very happy. It's okay. If my tree does not bear fruit, but provide shade then all shopping yeah. carts are away, then I'm good. Yeah. Because remember, people don't care about your trees until it fruits, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> or at least until you need some shade or wood. Have you ever read the Shel Silverstein giving tree? Yes, I have. Yeah. It's a very old, it's a very like, I think it's a, it's a kid's book, right? Dude, yeah, 100%. But you read that thing when you like reach some sort of age where you start giving to people instead of taking. You know, like the beginning of your life, man, you're always just fucking taking. And then you reach this whatever point where you want to give back. Like, you'll be in tears, man. If you read that book at, a, at like the wrong moment in your life, you'll be uncontrollably sobbing and look like you need severe psychological help. It's heartbreaking what that tree gives and the relationship that's built with the uh, boy. That's a metaphor for sure. Yeah. In a well, lot of ways. Yeah, because, I don't know, it winds up, spoiler, the tree goes, gives himself completely. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you need wood to build a house. Oh, you need to stay warm. Oh, you need a place to rest. You know, and, like, mm -hmm. it's a stump, and I think it ends with, like, basically being the dude's pillow while he dies. And you're like, damn, this kid had a fort on you. And it's, like, this whole cycle of life thing. Um, right. But, yeah, people, it's, it's cool that you've reached a point, too, where you're hoping to inspire and make people want to strive to be, I don't know, to push their limits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, the easiest way for me to do that is just to not talk about it. Just do it. Just, just push my own limits. And for me, uh, don't, I'm not quoting Nike at all, but just being, <laughs> being, um, being the example and, you know, Gandhi's all about like, I think it was Gandhi who said, uh, be the, be the change you wish to see in the world. Right. And so I want people to start pushing their limits and I want people to really, really see what they're made out of by doing hard things. So I need to do that myself. If I can't empower, you know, the Pacific Islander in me, if I can't empower myself, I can't empower anyone else. 
you know, you got to walk the walk and, and that walk's been pretty sweet. It's been pretty hard too, but it's been, it's been very good. Um, been very good for my life in the last two years since I've been, since I've talked to you. Yeah. Cause I was thinking back and it was very, I, I know the conversation was very like emotional and deep about your life, but I remember I'm almost positive Everest was brought up and there was like this ambition, but you hadn't like, I don't know, man, your Instagram back then was just you fucking wrestling with your boys in a garage somewhere. You know, like that was it. Right. It was all you were fucking doing was like wrestling and just like happy little shit. And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID breaks out and you're like, got a flashlight on your forehead and you're going for all sorts of insanely long jogs when it's dark out. And mm -hmm. now you're at a fucking base camp in Everest and <laughs> you're a hundred miles. Like it's been a pretty quick, it seems like it's been a pretty quick, like ultra runner doing all sorts of weird shit development for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, I guess, I guess, uh, just, just coming into myself. And I think last time we talked about it too, where I, uh, I have this like insane desire, like this intense desire to do something with my life that's meaningful. And maybe it goes back to running, you know, running my birthday miles, but I do reflect on like, what have I done? I'm now 26 years old. What have I done? you know, uh, with my life at 20 mile, yeah, mile 25, what have I done? Mile 26, what have I done? And, and for me, I want to be able to be very proud during those runs where I think to myself, like, yeah, this is like the life that I wanted to have. Cause you know, I plan to be doing this birthday mile runs up until maybe like maybe 80 years old. Gangster. And I've, I've seen, I've seen 80 year olds like complete hundred mile runs. So it's not, it's not um, uncommon and it's not out of my, it's, it's possible for me. And so I, I just want to look back on my life and know that I've done good for the planet and I've done good for my people and just good for people in general. And the meaning. So that's one of those weird words where it's like arbitrary, like your definition of a meaningful life. I want to have meaning mine completely different. Mm -hmm. I'm curious yeah. to go a little deeper. So is meaningful for you to be remembered? Meaningful for you to be the dude that first did shit? Meaningful for you is the fact that you're in someone's memory. Like people speak about you like we just did with David Goggins <laughs> to be like, because of that cat, I'm pushing myself. Have you drilled down into the meaning part? Like how will you know when you've obtained it? Yeah, that's a good question. I thought I, my coworker asked me, he said, if no one knew you climbed Mount Everest, would you still do it? Whoa. And Deep. I had never been asked that before. And I like, Deep. I was, I love that question. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, yeah, yeah, I would still do it because for me, it's more than just, don't get me wrong. I am, I can be as vain as anyone else. Like I love people celebrating my victories and I love people like being impressed with my successes. However, at the end of the day, like I find intrinsic value in it and I don't need anyone else to pat me on the shoulder and tell me good job. Um, because I do that for myself. Like I'll literally like good job Dylan and like, pat myself on the shoulder <laughs> or I just, you know, it's, <clears throat> it is so it's, it's cherry. It's a cherry on top of the cake for me. 
Is that the right term? Sure, it it, can well, be, it'll be your term. Okay. Well, it's, 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 it's super, <laughs> it's super gratifying for me to know that people are benefiting from me doing this, but it's also benefiting. Like, I just love knowing that by me living my best life, I'm improving my family as well. I'm improving people around me inherently because I'm, I, I generally believe that I inherently benefit my, my peers and my, the people I surround myself with and my environment just by being better. Like it's a, it, it all goes up. Yeah. I dude, selfishly. I feel part of why I still teach. I think is like, mm-hmm. I want some fucking kid to be like, dude, I like books now. Thanks to you. And it's, it's, it's a weird selfish thing because you want to serve to then be, I don't, it's not famous. There's a better word for it, but it, it is really narcissistic and it's a weird balance because you do like, I, I don't know. I, I want you to like school. I want you to learn. I want you to be like one day when you come back and you're like, you know what, man, I could have made this choice, but I remember we had this talk of the fact that you always did blank for me got me out of a bad situation. Thank you. And it's like the gratitude is why you're, why I'm doing a lot of teaching things and you don't know when it comes, but that's the, you would like to think like, it's just selfless, but it's not right. Like there is something Mm -hmm. about inspiring people. That's really fucking cool. It's cool. Um, and it just, so I want to, I want to add to that too. It's like, when people say like Dylan, because of you, I ran my first marathon. Dylan, because of you, I ran two marathons this year. Or Dylan, because of you, I started running. That makes me feel really good. And it's like not. It doesn't give me any like extrinsic value. However, it makes me feel good inside knowing that like what I'm doing is gonna benefit them and hopefully benefit other people and causes positive chain reaction. But also, I've heard this term that altruism is bullshit. The, the idea that you can be altruistic doesn't exist because at the end of the day, it still makes you feel better and you are, it's uh, still serving you to be good to other people. Right. And again, that goes back to karma. I want to have a good life. If I have a good life by helping other people, that comes back to me tenfold. You know, I, if I see, like, I'm, I'm the type of person who will, like, if someone asks me for money, I'll give it to them. I'm really, I'm really bad about that. But like, if I give this person a dollar, I'm going to get $10 somewhere else, you know? And, um, I'm terrible at that. Like I lose so much of my cash, Jesus. (laughs) But yeah, man, I, uh, I do believe that. I do believe that people just need help in life sometimes. And if you can give them that help, it's, it's designed in our brains for us to feel good when we help others. Yeah, it's a survival mechanism, right, or something. It it really you like our, you like that Darwinism. I really on. do, man. I, I I think the more I think about existence, I try to simplify it to like just common mm-hmm. elements. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't get super spiritual. I don't know if there's this weird spiritual purpose, unless the purpose is to survive and reproduce, mm-hmm. right? Safety. Right. Like it's like a Maslow's hierarchy thing. And I think that shit right. doesn't allow you to get food, water, shelter, safety. Like then it ain't, 
it's not meant to be in you because in your core, in your essence as an organism, what are you meant to do? Live. Right. <laughs> and right. the body's great at like, why do you have hangovers? Because that's your body with an alarm being like, no, 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 no. Too much of that and you're done. You know, there's all these mm -hmm. different mechanisms built into you to live and survive. So yeah, I guess I do get very evolutionary with it. I believe in traits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's um, you know, you know, the more like the more you are friendly, the more you give. Say we're on a playground and you're the kid who's giving away all of your candy or something or like a you buying know, friends. pack of gum. You're the guy buying yeah, you, friends. <laughs> yeah, no. I wasn't the guy buying friends, but I wish I wish someone would give me more candy. But the idea is like if you give 10 people a stick of gum at, at the playground, you're probably going to have 10 friends mm -hmm. who will also in turn, you have 10 people you can rely on who will then give you 10 sticks of gum, you know? And like in this way, you create this, like this commerce between people where you create trust, you create this, um, this like, safety this connection yeah and and then you like create this network because because you're nice to someone they're more inclined to be nice to you yeah yeah i'd vibe with that mm -hmm. but i yeah. i would just connect it back to like why do i care about being nice to you so that when i walk away i don't have to worry about mm -hmm. you stabbing me in the back and ending my life <laughs> and it's, <laughs> or, no i'm, and I'm, I'm adding to your argument right? for for survival because you have 10 people who are nice to you and if 10 people who will support you you have a higher chance of survival because yeah. of that the world's fucking cruel man there's so many mm -hmm. anomalies that just happen right tsunami earthquake drought like somewhere mm -hmm. early on dinosaurs somewhere early on <laughs> we figured out we could dominate as a human species if we were just able to be nice to each other somehow right we started creating right. our own little tribes. Then we met other tribes. It took us a while and we always tried to like kill them because we were worried about them taking our shit. But then we start figuring out, okay, maybe we don't have to kill. Maybe we can just coexist and share our resources. No scarcity of resources. We're good. Right. I feel like that's the book of life and I've wrote it in three sentences. You did it. Amen. You are... You're the new Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's my, that's my church gospel. <laughs> that's my doctrine. Since we've brought up tribe, you didn't have like the tribe vibe thing, like as a brand, right? And is it insulting to call it a brand? I don't want to be insulting, but like, it's kind of a cool brand. <laughs> and I'm curious you, like yeah. about its development um, and how you, uh, how it came about. Yeah, so the Tribe Collective is definitely a brand. And um, we were able to create, I don't know if we were able to, but so basically what had happened was I met, I had a friend who, uh, who, was, into, who was into triathlons. And me, myself, after like listening to David Goggins' podcast, wanted to run 50 miles. And so for me, I wanted to challenge myself and say, okay, I really want to run 50 miles in Oahu. Let's do it like um, in a month. I'm going to give myself a month to train for this and then I'm going to run 50 miles. 
And um, I met <clears throat> my good friend, uh, Joseph Coyle. And he was there to train with me because he was a triathlete. He's, he's done an Ironman and he's run 50 miles maybe one or two times. And so this was going to be his third one doing it with me. <clears throat> and so in me choosing this arduous task, I was starting to attract and inspire other people who wanted to run and also be a part of my endeavor, which was to run 50 miles from the south, southernmost point of Oahu to the northernmost point of Oahu. And so we're seeing naturally this, this phenomenon naturally happening where people were coming together to help me and to help Joe finish his 50 mile run. And in that month in, in which we were training, we met so many cool people. We became really close friends with a lot of them. Um, and it became this community where people just wanted to eat healthier. They wanted to go for runs. They wanted to go on hikes. They wanted to go to the beach. They wanted to meditate. And it was like, this is something that happens when you choose to be your best self and you choose to challenge yourself. And it was just blowing my mind to see, like, literally on that race day, we had like 30 people show up for this made up 50 mile run. <laughs> and, um, the inaugural, and it was, yeah, the inaugural run. And it, it was this incredible thing. And, and we were just like, we just kept saying the word tribe. Like, this is so cool. Like it's just a tribe of people. And, um, we ended up coining the term tribe vibe shortly after that inaugural 50 mile run, 52 mile run. We call it, the south to north um double marathon and um so it was it was like this run that joe and i did and i have a wave tattoo on my chest and for me i was like oh i really want to like give a free t-shirt to people who helped run this run with us and there are like 10 of them so okay i'm gonna create 10 t-shirts they're all gonna have this wave tattoo on the or this wave on their chest is representative of my tattoo. And I'm going to put tribe between the wave. And that's just going to be like a shirt to say thank you. And this thank you shirt became like, like this brand. And we like had a brand that had an, another t-shirt, another, and like another like logo and design. And we had different hats and we had different shorts and, and down jackets and kind of just grew from that. And we just were really, we really believed in the idea that if you wanted to be your best self, you need to have the right people around you to do that. And so I now created the idea of climbing Mount Everest as a part of the tribe. Like this is like, we're going to, we're going to show people like, if you want to climb Mount Everest, if you want to be your best self, you need to have the right people around you. And that's where I come in with the idea of like losing your self-sufficiency and like being a person of community and being a person who relies on others as well. And it was, it was just a very organic thing to happen. Um, there was, it was so easy. It wasn't forced at all. And, um, and we, now we just say like, if you have the tribe vibe, like Sean, you definitely have the tribe vibe, but if you have the tribe vibe, you are the type of person you want to be around to be your best self and to chase your goals. If you're getting drunk every night and you're like, you're like being a bad friend and you're a liar and you're like being pessimistic and you're being anxious. That is not the tribe vibe. We do not hang out with people who do not embody the vibe of, of the tribe. And, uh, and, <laughs> and it sounds and kind of cultish. definitely want to skip the whole fucking first hour of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Yeah. It was a, uh, it was super good, man. Um, but we created a tribe in 2021. We ran that, we ran that 52 mile run in September of 2020. Um, and in 2021, we became an LLC in that same year, maybe, uh, fuck it was, um, it was in September of that same year of, of 2021, like about a year after we ran the double marathon, Joe died. And it was just like in fucking insane, dude, like insane. Like the tribe kind of like broke, kind of broke up after he, he passed away. Um, so we're now we're in this like weird area where we don't really like meet up as much and hang out as much. And we're like kind of, um, recollecting from the year. Um, and in the spring, we had a we had a br- pretty big spring with the Marianas 100, where we ran the first perimeter run of Guam, which was 100 miles. Um, we did like a 50 mile run on the Big Island, which we call the Mana 50. Um, we went to Everest Base Camp as a tribe, and there was five of us, you know, and and we're still doing things for tribe, but we had a pretty heavy summer, a heavy spring. So this summer we're kind of relaxing and hopefully by fall or winter, we, uh, we pick back up on some things. I, I suck with like sensitive questions cause I get self-conscious and I probably don't trust my heart enough. Um, and I don't mean this in any asshole way, but can you talk about like Joe's importance and why you kind of feel with his passing that, um, the tribe is less of a tribe. Well, so I used to talk to Joe. Joe was my best friend. And like, he was like, I wanted him to be like the best man at my wedding. And he was like the positive guy. Like I'm, I think I'm a positive person, but he was 10 times as positive as me. Mm-hmm. And Joe, Joe was super mad, man. He was a, he's a pharmacist. He was a um, cabinet maker, a certified skydiver, an Ironman finisher, um, a, an ultra marathon runner who had done two fifty mile, three fifty mile runs, and a hundred mile run. Um, he was, I don't know, a great son. He was really handsome. He was a he was a Mormon, you know, <laughs> and he was a uh, he was like everyone loved him. Everyone loved his personality. Everyone like was like crushing on him. Like he was like the coolest guy and he was like my older brother he was i think he was like two or three years older than me two years older than me and so i really looked up to him and um he was like he was like the social butterfly of the group and um and it really like messed us up when he uh he had died but he was he was i used to tell joe when you and i get together it's like nuclear fission and we are able to do whatever we want because we are together and doing this. Hmm. And we signed up for the Moab 240 together. Um, I've done most, before he died, I had done all of my ultra marathons with him. And so he was like, <clears throat> we were like bread and butter. Like we were like the pair who could do everything together. And so when he died, I kind of like, you know, I lost my best friend. So I kind of, I had a loss of self. I had a loss of, part of me as a runner and I just had to regain all of those on my own. You know, I ended up running the Moab 240, like not even a month after he died. And I had to do that. Like I did it for him. I did it for myself, but, um, 
Now I'm defining myself. I am currently defining myself as a runner without Joe, which is funny because I didn't. I started my career as a runner with Joe, um, and now I'm in this process of becoming just Dylan instead of Dylan and Joe. I, I've never jog. I've never had a jogging buddy. Um, I've mm-hmm. had a beach walking buddy. It was basically my dog. Not to minimize Joe, but. The companionship of long hours on hours and having someone there, the only thing I can connect with is my dog. And beach walks don't feel the same without my dog. I got to be honest with you. Like if my if one yeah. doesn't go with me, it's it sucks. I want to be done within 10 minutes. My dog's there, dude. Mm-hmm. I could fucking walk hours in each direction. Wind, temperature, yeah. I give a fuck, man. It's like me and my dog. <clears throat> We're hanging in the beach. I'm watching her do stupid shit. We're exploring together. All that to like set up. I'm real curious if you have some like not what you miss but what you reflect on where you're like gaining strength to be more positive because i'm sure there's some quit moments in these long ass runs where something had to be happening with joe conversations looks smiles whatever he pinches your ass and he makes you sprint a little (laughs) bit or something stupid yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so joe and i started to do this thing remember i say like i used to tap myself on the shoulder because like I, like I literally would, like when Joe and I would run together every mile, we had to clap and he would cheer. <laughs> I would clap and he would cheer every single mile. We would do that. And that was like, that was, um, this, this habit we created where we had to be positive. And in the tribe, like if you're going to run with me or you're going to run with Joe, you're not allowed to complain about the obvious shit that's happening to your body. <laughs> it is. Everyone knows you're in pain. Like, you know you're in pain. I know you're in pain. I know your feet hurt. I know your shins hurt. I know your butt hurts. I know your shoulders hurt. I know you're tired. I know you're thirsty. I know you're hungry. Don't talk about it. Like, who cares? Like, everyone's feeling that way. But if you start complaining, you can talk about it for sure, but just don't complain about it. And that was, like, what Joe and I got really, um, we started to really believe in that. And if you started to stray away from that, that wasn't tribe vibes at that point. Mm. And so um, he brought, we we brought that out in each other. Um, I don't know if that answered your question because I kind of forgot your question. No, it does. I, I set it up in a real terrible way. That's something selfishly I've realized about myself. It's probably the teacher in me that I'm way too fucking wordy with questions. Um, I don't know why I feel this need to give context. I was just wondering like the, what did Joe add? What do you reflect on when you hit those moments? And it mm-hmm. just seems mm-hmm. like the okay. silly positivity I thought it was beautiful. Like I, I was in the moment with you yeah. as you were describing it. Yeah. I could picture yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. It was really cool. There, I, I would be so pissed off because I remember we were running a 30 mile run. We were at mile 24. I was fucking done. I didn't want to run anymore. I did not want to run a single step. We were probably running up a hill or something. It was hot. And I'm pissed. I'm pissed off at the hill. I'm pissed off that Joe chose this area to run in. I'm pissed <laughs> off at him. I'm pissed off at my friend who made me eat like an hour before. And now my stomach was hurting during my run. And Joe's fucking laughing and smiling. And I and that was his flex. Like your flex is like walking your shopping cart. Joe's flex was that he was able to smile and laugh and be really nice to other people at mile 24. And be really strong. And I I really, like, I hated him for being so positive. But it also, he was teaching me a lot, man. Like, he taught me, like, 
just because you're down in the dumps that mean you can't say hello and good job. He was telling people good job. Like people will be on their five on their five K on their three mile run. And he's telling people good job on their run. Right. Like he's like, get after it, buddy, good job. You know, and like it's like, bro, like <laughs> no one's saying that to us. But Joe Joe was he exemplified, you know, positivity and just like what it meant to be to be a to be a good person with nothing in return. Um, and, you know, when he died, I found out more of these things. Or Joe was just like that. Joe was just that type of person. Like, he was just someone who wanted to give good to people. Like, I found out he gave $1,000 to his friend because she needed to move out of her apartment and um, didn't have a place to go because... You know, they were living in an apartment together and the apartment was owned by his uh, his relative. And then when he moved out, they kicked everyone else out. And like, he didn't know that would happen. But when he moved out and they kicked everyone else out, he gave his friend a thousand bucks. And like right before he died, um, he sold his car and gave the money to his friend so that he could buy a car. Mm. And it's like, this is just the type of guy he is, you know. And all he cared about was making cabinets and sometimes being a pharmacist <laughs> which is just and that was just joe man and, and um yeah he he um he really left a mark on on like who i am and like how i want to be i'll never be like that but but that's because that's just who joe was it, it it's funny when you're around somebody and being around them makes you want to be better like yeah, to me, that's, that's one that's... of like the most ultimate compliments. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Like, Hey man, what's meaningful to you? You're trying to help people be better and reach goals. And like, did, mm -hmm. did Joe realize this? Did you have like these deep talks with him or do you have some stuff that you felt is like a little unsaid with his value? In um, your life? no, he knew, he knew that he was my brother through and through and through. And, um, that's awesome yeah you know yeah i pro i probably ha hadn't worded it the way i did but it took me him dying for me to reflect on who he was but he knew that he knew that i uh like was inspired by him you know and and i and i did tell him i remember one of my last conversations with him i told him like joe when you and i are together it's like nuclear fission and it's like an explosion of the universe and we're able to do whatever we want together because we are doing this together. Um, yeah, I've, I've talked about Joe on a couple podcasts already, actually, which is just, he's just a superhero, man. And um, I, I don't know, I think he, he was like, he was sent on this earth just for a short amount of time to be an angel to people. And he was supposed to go when he went. How did he pass away? Was it expected? No, he had a motorcycle accident. Fuck, man. Dude, Dude I know. Around it's here, we got scooters. And, like, I ride my bike. And I give a fuck less. I'm in flip-flops, board shorts, shirt off, no mm -hmm. helmet. And you hear these stories about, like, motorized scooters for us, motorcycles. Like, that's, that's just tragic. Because it seems like a lot of those are preventable if you're not on that vehicle. The injury that right. you would get in a car compared to the motorcycle or two wheel is um 
it's not the same. That's so fucking tragic. Yeah, it is. But that's, I mean, that's life. And I think for people who are listening to this and how they can apply it to their own life, it's like, just, you know, tell people how you really feel about them. It's not, it's not gay to tell, tell your friend that you love them or that, <laughs> that, that you care about them or that you're inspired by them. And definitely don't leave, you know, for me, I, and, you know, I've lost my dad and lost my, my best friend, you know, like in the same, within the span of like three years. So like, for me, I'm very like sensitive about like, you know, tomorrow's not promise. So try your best to do all you can today. Make sure the people that you love know that you love them. Make sure you're doing everything to your best ability. You know, don't, don't leave any stone unturned if you can. And, um, because like death is just, it, it just could happen to anyone at any point, you know, and, and, uh, no, you don't, you don't have a second chance. So just, uh, yeah. L- listeners go text your mom right now. <laughs> Dude, Te- I, text your best friend. Yeah. I suck at that unless I'm several drinks deep. I don't know why there's this emotional barrier. Like you had brought up the whole like, Hey, you're, it's gay. And I know I like, that's how it was with me growing up is if you got emotional or sensitive or looked weak and reflective, it, it was like, Oh dude, that's so queer. And now it seems there's so many at, there was a UFC guy who's, um, Patty. Okay. Yeah. So I know nothing about the UFC, but it was trending and it's like, this dude is a man's like, you're a fucking man's man. You're getting in the UFC cage, man. Like that's, that's battling fucking sharks and bears. And afterwards he's talking about cry, cry on my shoulder. I'd rather have you cry on my shoulder than me go to your funeral. And it's, I feel like that tide really is turning where it's okay. I wonder if it's just a trust thing. I wonder if dudes just don't, for some reason, have a trust with other dudes to be open. I I think it's um, I cannot. I, there's I would if you say it's uh, Darwinian in nature, I will argue that because because i'll know your weakness and then i'll conquer you and i'll kill you and i'll take all your resources and i'll make my tribe stronger tell me what bothers you so i can use it against you absolutely not because i have seen i have seen the way mental health is um addressed and portrayed and acknowledged in asia versus the u.s versus other parts of the country and it's so different I've been to parts of Africa and men just cry. They are, they allow themselves to cry in front of each other. They allow themselves to, um, be emotional. Whereas when I was in Nepal and I had to say goodbye to my host family, my host father didn't, uh, he was very sad. He, he did cry, but he wouldn't cry in front of anyone, Hmm. you know, like he didn't, he, they say it's, uh, Laj, like this Nepali word is Laj. So if, if you cry in front of anyone, it's lodge, meaning like, it's like, um, lodge is the same word that you use when you're wearing, when you're being too revealing, like you're, if you're not wearing like long enough, sh- uh, long enough skirt, or if you're like not wearing a shirt, if you're a man, if you're not wearing a shirt, 
it's lodged, like you're not, um, what is the word for that in English? Not being modest? Slut? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but like, but they use that. They use that same word, like, you're, like it's an embarrassment. You're being an embarrassment to show your legs. Is you're being an embarrassment to show your, to show your feelings. You know, you're being an embarrassment to walk around with your shirt off. That's interesting. And, they would associate the physical, like the 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 virtue, because that that seems morality, right? That's like sinful. Mm -hmm. I think like if you're showing too much leg, if you're showing too much chest, unless you are the mm -hmm. dad, bad dad, bod, God, like me, it's like <laughs> you're doing it in an attractive way. And typically when it's like, it's slutty, right? You were like, Hey man, it's slutty. What are you fucking hot boy? Like put your shirt on, quit thirst trapping, but to right. put that with emotions. So there must be something, it, it can't be on that same sinful Christian based level, right? Like that modesty level. No, it's, it definitely has to do with like, you should be embarrassed because you're showing your legs. You should be embarrassed because you're crying. And it's like, that's it's like, weird. um, I and that's like, I, on my, on our last podcast, I'm pretty, I don't, I didn't get too far into our last podcast last time, but I'm pretty sure we talked about the way words are used around the world and like how language shapes the culture. But I feel much more confident talking about it now, two years later, but lodge, like, like just people like associate things very differently based on your language. And so people are associating this feeling of being humiliated with emotion and with your physical body in Nepali language. So, you know, maybe in the U S like me saying, Hey Sean, I'm depressed. Like you would take me a lot more seriously than people in Nepal would. Hmm. And you probably, you probably send me like 10 different articles and like, depression or like send me to a therapist or something whereas like you know when patty the baddie on ufc was like he won he won this fight he was like badass guy you know like superstar uh martial artist he's like men talk about your feelings and that changes everything and so you need you need people like that to uh really really excel in what they're doing to be able to say things that are out of their realm of expertise. Like if I were a doctor in psychology and I said, talk about your feelings. It's so great. It's like, all right, Dylan, whatever. This is like, that's your job. But if this, <laughs> if this, if this Spartan in a cage is telling you, bro, talk about your feelings, it means something very different. And so with me, with me running like Moab 240 or with me, like, uh, wanting to climb Everest, I want to be able to have that um, that pathos to say things that I really care about. Like, because I climb Mount Everest, you should understand. Like, bro, plant some trees. Like, that's it's so it's so important. Like, I'm serious, and I'm serious. Like, I think that people think it's cool now. If like, if I I love planting trees, I love gardening. People will think it's more cool because I'm like doing these other things. And Nims Nims is the guy who um who's like the really successful mountaineer, he's the one who's, he's the one who's picking up trash, you know? Mm. And he has this accolade that, that backs him. And so it's like, it's not lame if he does it because it's, oh, now it's really cool that, he, that he's picking up trash because he's Nims. So we should all do that. You know? That, that's the weird quality. I don't know if that's capitalistic. So you think that's universal with your experience? Because what I'm, in, culturally, 
because I've noticed simple things like that in basketball where there, there's always a best at something, any kind of sporting thing. Like my daughter runs track. Like part of right. why she's popular is because she beats other girls. <laughs> like right. if you lost, you wouldn't be cool, man. You'd have to say someone else is cool. Right. So yeah. if she does hum humble things like basic, go thank your coaches before you leave. Other people will see that and be like, oh my God, she's good and she does that. So right. I'll do that. Where if like the little goober who sucks says, thank you, coach, you get made fun of. You're like, suck up. And if your leadership makes fun of that little thing, then it never happens. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, that's interesting because I wonder if that is a humanistic trait or if that's a American capitalist cultural trait. That was long winded I mean, as hell again. I'm sorry, man. No, no, monkey, monkey see, monkey do, right? <laughs> and um, yeah. you like, I think it's very like you want to imitate, you want to imitate the, um, like the alpha, the king of the jungle. Yeah, yeah, the alpha. So if the alpha is uh, one of my favorite ones is um, the best basketball player is also the one who's mopping the court, right? Like, so if the if if you're mopping the court. You are showing discipline, you're showing like humility and you're showing that you're also the best, you know, and like, um, the person who mops the court is going to be the best person because they're able to do both. Um, and, and it's admirable. It's a very admirable thing to show like, yeah, I'm like really good at this thing, but also at the same time, I'm also able to do the small things that made me the person who I am today. Yeah. It's an awareness, right? Like it, it shows that you're not so self-centered or you're not sitting around thinking about yourself after a great accomplishment. And again, I'm not right. a UFC guy, but the fact that that dude can fucking like that's on his mind after he just battled basically for his life. Like mm -hmm. it shows an awareness right. that's above his immediate success. Right. And so I, I love to think about it too. Let's go back to this. I'm not saying this as a joke, but the shopping cart thing. The shopping cart thing is so cool because it's our next tattoo. Whoever, when you, yeah, when you come to Delaware, man, that's going to be it. I'm <laughs> looking for a great excuse to get a tattoo. And the shopping cart might be one on my like ankle or some shit. <laughs> like, because it's so true, man. If you see your hero doing that, whoever my hero, like, okay, one of my heroes could be... Uh, Max Holloway, the UFC fighter. Let's try to find one that's a little more like universal. Um, God, who's a who's my hero? Goggins. Uh, the Rock. The Rock. Okay. Oh. Everyone knows The Rock. It's too right? cultural. I was gonna say it, but I thought it would be like profiling. <laughs> yeah. No, you're so stupid. <laughs> but The Rock, right? This guy is a buff, buff motherfucker. He's a you know, multimillionaire. He's a, he's an international icon. Everyone wants to be like him. And he also walks his cart back from, from his cart. Yeah. Yeah. The internet happens. I tried to tell you, man, hey. this internet's spotty. Once you put video oh, yeah. on, the last thing I heard was <laughs> the rock pushing his cart. And then you froze with a definitely not adorable look on your face. <laughs> yeah that's all right i'm hardly adorable but um 
The Rock's doing it. You want to do it? Yeah. And I want that. I don't. I want that credit. To, like, if I if I climb Mount Everest, and it's the first tomorrow, to do it. Maybe people from Guam would eat healthier. Mm. Maybe people from Guam would like start to learn their own language. Maybe people from Guam will um, stay in Guam. Maybe they'll do things that are like better for their community. You know, something like that. Maybe they'll stop drinking as much or stop smoking as much cigarettes. Um, and it's a it's a pipe dream, and there's no there's no um, there's no guarantee that that will happen. However, I'd like to think that I'll affect at least one person's life if I if I do something good. Well, there's no harm, right? Like, what if you're a complete failure at that goal? Well, then you had a lot of really cool adventures and you probably lived longer because you did a bunch of stuff and you were healthy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like that's, if you yeah. played out worst case. Um, that's, man, that's interesting that you feel, is it like a pressure you feel culturally? Is this an identity crisis to like <laughs> better the lives or be um, not, not, I feel like icon is like a weird word but like to be an example you're like you're so young to feel this it's kind of i guess that's like odd to i feel like it's sometimes because i'm a dad even though i'm a shit example at a lot of things but like it's one of those things okay now that i have a kid i have to do certain things so that they know how to do them my child but i don't know if a lot of like 26 year olds feel that weight for like their culture um i don't i don't feel that for my culture i just feel that well, maybe I do feel that for my culture. I don't feel like I need to be an icon. I just want to set an example. Like this is another mode of being. Like you can be this or you can be that. And I want people to, sh- I want to show people another option as to how to live your life, um, especially for the people from Guam and um, just people in general too. But, but for me, it just makes sense because I didn't grow up with like, like heroes of, of Guam. I didn't grow up of like like uh, a role model from, from Guam. So at this point, it's just a nice, I think the word's nicety. Is that right? Like I, liked, it's just, I liked role model. That was the word I was looking for instead yeah. of icon. Icon is way too narcissistic, yeah. but role model is an awesome word. But I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I don't feel any pressure because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I just need to, I'm just doing it. I have to just be doing it for myself because, you know, people do say they're doing it for their kids or doing it for, for their wife or doing it for other things. Like I do have that, but at the end of the day, like I, I only have myself and I know I'm saying that as the, as a co-founder of the tribe too, but (laughs) But you have to be you have to be solid for yourself if you want to be solid for other people. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird duality, right? Yeah, I um, but yeah, I dude, I'm super curious about the business aspect of this. Does it come natural sure. to you, or is this terrible for you? <laughs> like figuring out uh, businesses, fucking websites, LLCs. Like I'm 40 and I get overwhelmed when I think about it for my rental property. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super overwhelming, and I have a business partner, Brandon Perez, who helps me with that. But I'm more of the dreamer and like, and the um, creative director, and I get things like, 
and much more of a social person, but Brandon's handled, he, he's like showed me and like been with me for the taxes and making it an LLC. Like we were together for the bank account stuff. Um, and that part is very hard for me. And like, I don't have a lot of experience in having a business but I do have a lot of experience in having a passion. So I just, just the passion part is easy for me. Cause I'm like, I can be, I can nerd out. I can figure out like what I need to do to make my business better and better and better. Um, and I just go from there. Yeah. Cause you're basically an IG model at this point, right? Like a really <laughs> fit, super stamina IG model. That's funny. I, I don't think so, but I guess I am. Dude. I'm on a bunch of sponsored ads and stuff. <laughs> and I, yes, I have had the job title model. Have you really? <laughs> so yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I have. I had to file my taxes as a model. Stop, dude. That, <laughs> was your, that was your occupation on your taxes model? One of them, yeah. One of them. <laughs> so... Cause I had like four W2s or whatever, W9s or whatever it was. Um, yeah, it's been, <clears throat> it's been a crazy, you know, crazy ride. And we talked about this before the podcast, but just the more that I've like really uh, committed to running, the more I've been able to benefit and also benefit other people who are in my tribe um, as well. And it's just been this exponential growth. It's really started, and it really just started with the birthday run. Yeah, that's crazy that the birthday run thing um, snowballed for you. Yeah, it was, man, and <laughs> and I'm I'm just I'm just really happy for where I'm at and where I continue to grow, and you know I hope I can <clears throat> talk to you again in another couple of years and like talk to you about like climbing Everest and. And all those things too, and just really being able to, you know, create my tribe of people with with you and with with other athletes and with other other inspired individuals, so that we can like create create something that's really 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 cool. I I don't know. I was thinking with my kid, and she's twelve. She's at field hockey camp. She runs, and I was sitting on the beach with um a, a mom. So whatever, like you do these things where it's like, oh, we want to hit up the beach afterwards. And then you have like these weird conversations with people that you kind of know, but don't really know. And you're like, hey, we're going to almost like this podcast. Hey, we're going to sit here for a couple hours and watch kids play. We might as well talk. And the mom's yeah. super into sports and I want my kid to be active. But I'm like, I don't know what the, like, what's the goal? It made me question. I, I had the conversation with the mom and it made me question, why do I care that my kid is active? And it wasn't like, I want her to be a professional athlete. It was like, I want you right. to have an active lifestyle because I believe it's healthy mentally mm -hmm. and physically. And I think right. that just the fact that you keep talking about developing this tribe, man, it's like, just give the stupid excuse to ride 240 miles. Just give me a stupid, I need a partner to jog with. Give me a reason to go out and do something. And it's the mm -hmm. world for whatever reason is better than just sitting around and not doing. I don't know why, but just yeah. do. I, I love that. I, I love that. That's kind of like mm -hmm. the passion of yours. 
Thank you, and thank you so much. That's like, it's it's a huge passion, and it's gone way past the physical, and it's even gone way past the mental benefits for me. Like that's just expected <clears throat> at this point. For now, it's like now at this point, I'm like at this like spiritual part of running where I'm doing it to、uh, feel closer to like myself. To the universe and to like God, and I, and I don't want to like be too woo woo, but、um, it just feels like I'm able to <clears throat> like like tap into like my like tap into like the heart of who I am by by running, and I'm able to like really shed away my ego so that I can get、um, get to like what actually matters in life, and like running is a vehicle that in which I can. Really like break that down for myself, and I, you know, when I when I'm running, I'm like a lot of times I'm thinking about, you know, I'm like I'm like meditating and thinking about, um, like what am I gonna do with my life and what am I gonna like how I want to leave this planet and how I want to impact this world. Which are the same things you can do in a sauna. You can do the same thing. You see, like people. I was just reading about this, like. People go into those、uh, sweat lodges to convene with God. You know,、mm. they get so hot, they get so、um, tired, and they like really like shed these parts of themselves that they're able to like hallucinate. But even besides that, they're able to like really just meditate in that moment about what am I doing on this planet? <clears throat> and people do that all over the world. Yeah, and and I'm doing that through. You know, running as well, dude. You got to take away the first world problems, right? Like、mm-hmm. there were these fucking people arguing about what kind of plane they should get. <laughs> This was a conversation I overheard, and I'm like, "You got to be fucking kidding me! You're literally like, this is 20 minutes." It was next to me on the beach. I'm like, "20、mm-hmm. minutes about a private plane and you figuring out what's the best option." I'm like, "That's just so much." But again, that's your world,、right. and that is a serious、right. issue to you. And I'm so far away from being a part of that. Maybe that's jealousy, spite, just my、mm-hmm. natural—I don't know—dick in me, where I'm like, it's so fucking.、Stupid. You have a dick in you, <laughs> and out of me.、Um, but, but it's like, would you be thinking about that plane if you were in the Moab 240 at mile 85? If you're going up whatever a three thousand foot incline, and you're like, is that going to be on your mind, or are you going to be like, did I spend enough time with my kid? Do I have a nice enough garden? You know, like it just、mm-hmm. you suffer and it prioritizes. And I think when you have that ease,、yeah. you don't get to get there in your mind. That's that's a great. I need to remember that.、Uh, you suffer to prioritize. That's that's. Well done, yeah. You,、uh, you remember what's important in life.、Uh, so that should be a footnote on my book yeah, of life you know, paragraph. I mean, it's like <laughs> I, dude. Every time,、Sorry. every time we get deep, the internet. I'm telling you, you cursed us, making fun of me last time. I didn't want to have the <laughs> camera on, and I'm like, yo, the internet. And you're like, yeah, like you got power to mess with the internet. I'm telling you. <laughs> There's a vibe. 
sorry. Okay, where where did I leave off? Um, you were just admiring my wordsmithness. Yeah, yeah. So suffering helps you prioritize, right? And so, yeah, you can't. You just. I guess you said it perfectly, but you just just can't have all of these other issues, you know. And I, I think when when I go running and I'm going through these hard hard parts, I'm like I'm just thinking about like. You're gonna make me edit this part <laughs> up. I'm I'm gonna leave this conversation upset at you because I'm gonna have to spend a ton of time clipping out dead air. No, I'm just kidding, man. I wouldn't be mad at all. Okay, we're at we're at two hours and five minutes, so just remember that part. Gotcha. <laughs> and um, yeah, so so yeah, dude. I just running just a good time to meditate. Any time's a good time to meditate when you're suffering because that's the time where you let that shit go, so you can remember what's actually important in life. Yeah, I and I just. I don't know if enough people get that natural suffering on their day to day, which is why you worry about planes. Like, dude, I was, I was going to lose my fucking mind. And then I'm like, what's wrong with me? How come I can't be happy that these people have planes? Why don't I like offer them some sort of spritzer and then maybe one day I'll be on their plane? You know, like, dude, fucking play it for yourself, man. I was like kicking myself and then they left and I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. It was a, it was a moment, but it was a very weird good moment. Yeah, it just, I don't know, I need to be less judgy. Um, talk to me about the Moab 240, because I want to say that was one of Goggins' races. So I, when I listened to his book, the first 100-mile story was nuts. He's like shitting on himself, and he does the extra one mile. Did you actually, actually, let me say, yeah. did you read his book or listen to it like I listened to it? I started and finished that book on my way to Everest Base Camp the first time. Okay, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, dude, yeah, it'll- it's good. Yeah, and he don't believe in motivation, right? So like, you can't say the book motivated you, <laughs> but <laughs> it motivates you, man. Like when you're going through some hard shit and he starts talking about like all of his suffering, you're like, it can't be, he's unreal, he can't be real. But the first 100 miler was nuts for him. He's like cramping up and he goes out too fast. But I thought the Moab 240, like, I don't even think he finished it the first time. Or am I wrong about that? He, he technically didn't finish, like, on the, on this, in the record. But he did finish. I, I believe he did finish. Okay. And so do you remember, remember I was talking to you about um, pulmonary, high-altitude pulmonary edemas? I believe he had gotten one when he was running the Moab 240. Okay. Um, and so he was. He had to go to the hospital, and I I don't know if I'm conjuring this up or if I read this somewhere, but I'm pretty sure he got um, get to get an IV. And if you get an IV during that race, you're disqualified. You're just you can't finish your race. Oh really? If you get an IV. Yeah. Huh. And so and that's like in the fine. It's in the it's in the um, it's in the whatever like waiver you sign. And so he got an IV, and then he went out and still finished. Um, but so he did it a second time, and then the second time he got second place. Okay. Maybe that's but, all I was thinking about. So tell me about your experience. Yeah, so, man, I had, And uh, if it doesn't, actually, you know what, I'm sorry. If it doesn't end in you being first, I won't even need to hear about it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just say I got, I think I was fifth to last, actually. <laughs> Dude, the Which fact that really you were weird. there. <laughs> yeah it was it was a fucking tough one and 
Yeah, so Joe and I had just finished our first 100 miler and we uh, signed up for the Moab 240, like maybe three days later. And um, on that runner's high, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> for real. And we, um, we, uh, I went to Everest Base Camp, spent three months there training, running, and just getting ready for this Moab 240. Got COVID in May. Um, a really bad bout of COVID pretty much lost all of my athletic training. Like I lost my, my lungs and I lost my, um, my legs. And so from June to October, I had basically four months to start training for this, um, for this 240. And can I pause you just for a second there to help me understand? Yeah. So when you go to Everett base camp, the altitude is intentional because I don't know what the altitude is for the Moab 240. So would the altitude help or is it just like athletes training in Colorado Springs, Olympians, so that whatever it does to your blood, regardless of altitude, makes you better? Yeah, so I went to I went to Everest Base Camp um, for Everest Base Camp, but I also knew that being at high altitude for three months would benefit my my physiologies for the Moab 240. And so, um, so four months after Moab or four months after Everest base camp, I, you know, ran the Moab 240, but, um, like I said, I got COVID, so it kind of fucked me up pretty bad. So, you know, I didn't have a trainer. I didn't have a coach like I do now. So I just ran whatever I thought would be good for the 240. And I was making up my running schedule was running whatever I thought would be good. And, um, what was the, you know, come race day, like training wise, lead up to it. What would, like, how do you train for that on your own? Did you just Google? No, I didn't even have a coach. I just ran whatever I thought would be good. And so for me, I think I did a marathon a month leading up. So I did like four or five marathons leading up to, uh, the Moab 240. And just hearing that, that, that doesn't sound like a lot. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't, that definitely wasn't enough. Um, however, and I'll get more into this after I talk about the 240, but I, um, I was definitely under trained for this run. However, what I lacked in, <clears throat> but they say it's better to be under trained than over trained. Right. Uh, okay. And, um, and so I went into the Moab 240 um and i walked the first 50 miles just straight up i just walked the first 50. Uh, i was given that advice by one of the directors of the run and so i did it and then at mile 50 i was fucked up because i don't walk that much like walking and running are very different use very different muscles and it's very different on your body and so by mile 50 i was completely fucked up i hurt my ankle i hurt my hip um, my shoulders were sore and, um, you know, um, I was hallucinating by mile 60. I, I mean, yeah, by mile 60, I was already hallucinating because of the lack of, lack of, um, sleep I was getting. And then, you know, I was, uh, by mile 75, I was like, you guys, I just spent the whole night in the desert by myself. I was hallucinating. I was, I saw, you know, I saw, um, mountain lions in my hallucinations. I thought these big rocks were big white tents that were like here for me to help me. And, you know, I thought there'd be parking lots around every corner, but there weren't. And like, I was 
like looking at my watch and like miscalculating the amount of math or I was miscalculating how many miles I had to run to get to the next aid station. And I was just like super fucked up physically and mentally. And I was done, you know, I was done. I was like, I told, I told, uh, my crew, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, at mile 75, they got me to keep going. <laughs> and, uh, um, at mile 75, I had Timbo. You had Timbo on your podcast. Yeah. yeah, I had Timbo. He ran, he ran 50 miles with me to mile 135. And, um, you know, I just kept going like, but through those, you know, through those, uh, four or five days, like the idea of tribe came back because I had another set of individuals who were all willing to get me to where I needed to be, you know, and I had, um, Timbo and I had my girlfriend, I had my girlfriend's dad. I had, you know, this other guy that Joe and I ran with come out named Cameron. Um, I had my best friends from college come out and my best friend's boyfriend came out and my, my ex-girlfriend's best friend came out and, and there was just so many people who were there for me. And it really like, really like, it really um, brought back the meaning of tribe when I was doing the 240, but you know, um, with all that being said, it was like very hard because of the amount of elevation gain and it was snowing. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have the right equipment. I got like my, all of my clothes were soggy. <laughs> um, Dude, that's, it was terrible. Crotch rot it, and soggy yeah, clothes it, when you're, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about the walk, the 50. Why did he tell you to walk the first 50? Cause it was your first time or is that? He, I forgot his name. Fuck. Phil. Phil told me to uh, walk the first 50 because he does 200 milers all the time. And he said I, he didn't want me to go out too fast. You know, if I, if I go out too fast, it's going to fuck me up. And, um, and so, yeah, so for that Moab 240, I probably thought I was going to give, I thought I wasn't going to make it. And I mentally gave up and I was in this constant state of stress and anxiety the entire time for like four or five days where I was like, I'm not going to make it. Even at, even at mile 237, I was like, I'm not going to make it. There's no way I can make it. You know, that was a lot of stress in my body, like emotional stress to be like in this mode where like, I'm not going to be able to finish what I started. And so it took a lot, you know, it took a lot of grit. It took a lot of praying when I was doing it. It took a lot of like, I didn't listen to music the entire time I did that. And so I was like singing music in my head and um, it really did take a whole tribe to get me to that finish line. Um, and yeah, it was by far one of the hardest things I've ever done for sure. I'm just, you had said the sleep thing too. The first 50 miles walking, is that consecutive? Like, do you stop and rest in between? No, I didn't stop until mile 75 to, to sleep. And how many hours straight is that? That was about... Oh, fuck, I think it was about 24 hours. 24 hours straight walking, then jogging. Sorry, you're, you're uh, a... Me. 
That's what we get for making fun of the internet gods, my friend. I'm trying to tell you they are real. <laughs> they are real. Um, Google Hangout just doesn't want us hanging out like that. So 24 hours straight movement. Yes. Yeah. It was disgusting. Yeah, and I don't even know the course at all. So how lonely is it? So it, out of 240 miles, is it some sort of loop where you're like every 60 miles you hit like a finish line kind of a thing? Not at all. The whole thing was a big one-track loop. Not one track, Holy but it was a shit. big, big oval. And, you know, this is something that I, I will never forget was that how lonely I felt the first like throughout the entire 240 even with other people around me even with Timbo around me and my girlfriend and, and people who are pacing me the amount of loneliness you feel is like impeccable it's insane like how lonely you can feel when you're like in the desert alone with a bunch of sandstone and and shrubs and um it, it's crazy and I remember I think it was like mile 40 I was uh alone and I, um, and I wanted to, uh, like be with people and I saw a photographer and I was so happy to see his photographer. And I was like, I told her, I was like, you know, like the body's made to do stuff like this, like do these ultra marathons, but it's not made to be this alone. Hmm. And like, like I had more of a, so it was more hard for me, like socially and emotionally than it was physically for me. That's that's the weird thing to me to picture because when's the last time you were like deer hunters do that for a while. I don't know if deer hunting is mm -hmm. a big thing out there. They wake up fucking three in the morning. They sit in a box and they're by themselves for like seven, eight hours and they're like, I love it. Um, but it but doesn't feel different. natural. <laughs> yeah. But sitting in a sitting in a space where you're comfortable and you know what's happening, you can control the elements and you can control what you're eating and stuff. It's like very different than like, you're going through the snow, you're getting increasingly more tired and you're getting increasingly more sore. You're getting increasingly more like delusional, but at the same time being alone in that, it's a whole new experience. And that's where the spiritual part comes into it. Because you really are feel, it feels like you're really convening with something. Maybe it's not God, maybe it's like yourself, but you're, it becomes more than a race. It's like, and I'm sure you can add to this with your, um, your bike ride, but it was like, <laughs> do not put my bike ride in Delaware in the same <laughs> thought as the Moab 240. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> but you, you must know what I mean though. Like, it's like at, at some point it's not, it's like how, how strong is your spirit? It's not how strong, or your legs or how strong is yeah. your mind is how strong is your spirit and that is what is tested um and i'm pretty sure that's not tested when you're like in a like when you're hunting for deer but if you if you're if you are hunting for deer sean please send me some game because we, we don't get do. much here i never have it's one of the things i've um never done i actually don't know i think i would cry if i killed a deer Really? They, their eyes are too similar to dogs to me. Like my lab, the mm. nose setup. I 
If I had to, if I killed a deer and had to go over there and skin it, but then I'm such a bitch because I got zero qualms about burgers and steaks and chicken. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a weird paradox yeah. of like sensitivity versus consumerism. Um, not to go off on a stupid tangent though. Uh, I, I'm curious about the sleep thing as well. Cause I've never, Goggins does that four by four and 48. Have you yeah. heard about that? I have heard about that. Yeah. It's I, funny. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. I think I'm a, sorry. Finish your question. No, no. Well, I think I'm going to try to do it on my own maybe next summer when I have just like three days to be like, I'm the dude that did that. Cause I have like a nice little four mile loop. That's, I feel pretty safe. So like at night when I'm by myself, I'll whatever, be able to do it. But in my head, I can't get past. So wait, most I'm asleep for is like three hours straight. And then immediately yeah. wake up and go and then whatever, cool down, fucking towel down, shower, you know, stretch a little bit, maybe eat and then maybe yeah. get three hours of sleep. The sleep thing I can't get past. And I'm, that's what I'm super curious about with this Moab and going over days. What was it like mm -hmm. to sleep? Was there a clock in your head that you were like, got to fucking finish? You had this like arbitrary deadline that was fighting your ability to rest. <laughs> Or you yeah, just pass so out. <laughs> no, there's there's an element of when you need to sleep, you need to sleep, and that came into effect a couple of times with Timbo, where I was like, "Yo, Timbo, we're like in the middle of the desert, like on a fucking fire road. I just need to lay down right here. I'm gonna lay down right here for five minutes, and then I'm gonna sleep." And so I would just. They call it a dirt nap in ultra marathon world. So I took I took probably four or five dirt naps that lasted anywhere from three minutes to ten minutes. And I probably took uh, maybe like uh, maybe like seven of them. Where are you slept? Are you setting alarms when you say three to yeah. ten, or are you um, just letting your body wake you up when you're ready? No, I'm definitely setting an alarm on my phone or on my watch and just like letting myself um and it's it's so fast like you sleep it's like like listen like you're if you were to just like hunch over put your hands on your knees like you'd fall asleep like that's how tired i was <laughs> and like you're you get to the point where you're so tired like if you're not upright like completely upright you'll fall like you'll fall to the ground and sleep and i actually was falling asleep while walking and running at one point and um you just have to like you just know you just know that it's you need to sleep but at the same time you have to budget your time sleeping you have to budget your time walking you have to budget your time running so that you can finish within the allotted amount of time that you're given and so and for me it was just i was just lucky enough to be able to do it where i could sleep when i needed to um, and run what I needed to. And, and I was only really sleeping when it was like, when I was like, I'm about to pass out standing up and, or if I was hallucinating too much. <laughs> See, when you hallucinate, you got to run towards the hallucination. That's, that's... <laughs> but you don't, but the, the hallucinations weren't what you would think like a big purple dragon, you know, it was Fucking like in cupcakes running along with you. Yeah, <laughs> leaving a it little was, frosting for you to lick. 
the the hallucinations were like seeing a lot of mount, like I saw a lot of mountain lions in sticks or in like trees, and I saw a lot of things that I wanted when I was out there. Like I saw a lot of cars like in the middle of nowhere because I wanted to like be in a car. I saw a lot of like tents. I saw a lot of parking lots. I saw a lot of cabins. Like I wanted, to, like those are things I just wanted. Right. I was like, like things that were very comforting to me. Like, oh, it'd be so nice to be like to be in a cabin right now. It'd be so nice to like, like be in a car so I can like lay down. And so those are the things that I was looking for and hoping for the entire time. So I kept seeing those things. Priorities, homie. Although not yeah. like not like life priorities. It's like you went over. Your, your whatever RPM meter, right? You went beyond what are, what are my life priorities to like, what are my immediate survival priorities? You went too far right. into the red. <laughs> what, yeah. But... Was it, do, do people get different times when they have to wrap up or is there just one standard when you do the Moab 240? Yeah, one standard. And I think it was a hundred and fuck i finished in 111 hours so i think the cutoff was 112 hours damn <laughs> yeah yeah so i finished fifth to last i really fucked up my hip when i was when i was walking those first 50 miles and so i wish i'd i mean you know i wish i'd done more running i guess um yeah man it was it was very it was one of the hardest things i've ever done but I do think going to base camp this past year was harder than that. Yeah, why is that? Uh, mentally, it was harder, and the acclimation was harder, and like my, I felt like I was actually going to die at some point when I was just going to base camp, <laughs> which is sad. Which is sad to say, but like I did feel like at one point, like I could actually die because my head hurt so bad, I could pass out and die. And yeah, well, you were talking about those headaches, and. How did, did you find any ways to make them go away? Like, I'm, it's not just Tylenol, right? Like pop two and then you're done. No, no, don't. I personally don't believe in like taking, um, like those altitude pills, which is like Diamox. I believe in like drinking a lot of water, getting a lot of sleep. And if those things don't work, get that, getting to lower elevations, oh, to really? safer elevation. Yeah. Why is that? And those are for me. You worry that because are gonna like mask it, and then all of a sudden you're gonna hemorrhage. Precisely, yeah, you're you're not a hemorrhage, but yeah, you are you're like you're just uh, masking your symptoms, and that could be worse than just getting down, getting down to lower elevations. Got you. Yeah, it's so weird to me to think it. It what it makes me want to do is hug somebody that was like in a submarine with all the fucking pressure of the ocean on you or like those deep divers that, right. What do you do? Right. How, how do you, how do you face this immense, the, just the pressure, but it's weird to think about that same pressure or feeling while you're elevating. Cause it, for some reason, like it's still your habitat. You're just higher in the air, you know, like it, doesn't feel yeah. like the body should be worse off because you're still connected to the ground. <laughs> you're still on mm -hmm. rock. You're still on earth. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing for me to try to comprehend having not done it. 
Yeah, I, gosh, I wish I could remember what I was told about this, but it's about, um, I think someone had told me like there's still the same amount. Oh, fuck, I forget what it was. I'm going to, this is totally wrong. So whoever's listening, like, don't take my word for it. But I remember it being like something around, like on top of Everest, there's the same amount of oxygen, but your body just processes it differently. Your body, your body's not able to process that oxygen at the same rate as when you're at lower altitude. Right. I think. <laughs> do you know? Well, yeah, right. Well, obviously, but do you know why? So, if it's the same amount of oxygen, why would being, I mean, what is that? Five thousand two hundred eighty feet. Like, how many miles up is Everest? Fuck. Like ten. It's five. Five miles up? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're about five miles up. I think, I think it's just the, like, the higher you go up, the more um, red blood cells you need. And so your body needs to produce those red blood cells so that it can um, carry more oxygen throughout your body. And so the process in which you're creating more, more normal at higher altitudes is what you're doing through acclimation. Yeah, it's it's too scientific for me. Because if it's, I don't know, same amount, I'm not going to um, argue about it. I guess I'm just thinking out loud about its awareness because <laughs> I always thought it was a density thing where oxygen had some sort of like weird weight and it like fell, almost like cold air versus hot air, where like cold air will fall because <clears throat> it's more dense. Right oxygen would fall and there would just be less of it, which is why. So that's kind of interesting. Well, to me. I think, I think Google would be a great, great <laughs> tool for both of us. And I'd love to know more actually, but I do know that your body is creating more red blood cells um, to help accommodate for the altitude. Yeah. Right. I just don't know if that, that little fact about the oxygen being the same or not as true. Yeah. I, I don't either. And I don't feel like Googling. I am curious about the <laughs> Mohab 240 just to go back, man, because I can't imagine. I was doing the math in my head. Like, basically, that's two miles an hour. Yes. Right? Yes. So are you sitting there like that's your goal as you're walking? As you're um, taking a nap, do you set these weird little paces of got to get two miles an hour, got to get two miles an hour? And how do you even fucking like keep your watch charged to track that for the whole time? <laughs> I, I had a, um, a solar powered battery that I brought with me oh. and I charged my watch. And yes, it would be two miles per hour if you were walking the entire time without sleeping, without eating, without peeing without pooping, right. without tying your shoes, it would be two miles per hour. So in actuality, I was probably running about four miles per hour um, with with all of those said breaks and said things that I needed to do. Yeah. Which is, what's that, like a 15-minute, a mile pace? Mm -hmm. Which sounds yeah. like completely slow and terrible to the 5 Kers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, um, you know, it's pretty terrible. Like just the amount of work your, your body's doing for that amount of time. Um, 15 minutes is hard. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I, I don't know. I've 
I've gone for jogs where I've got to work to keep it under 10 minutes a mile and I'm not doing anything with serious elevation. It's just hot, you know, mm-hmm. it's just hot and it's flat and it's straight ahead. And I'm like working to get in six miles at under 10 minutes a mile. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right. It is, it is four minute mile or at least it is around a two miles per hour, but that's, that's super like improbable for anyone to do. Yeah. Cause you couldn't keep it uh, How many does your watch do the whole, like, Hey, you burn this many calories thing. I don't know why I'm yeah. obsessed with that, but I do get obsessed mm-hmm. with that. And I'm curious about how many you burn. Let me, let me just, uh, look, my Instagram has it. Oh, does it? Really? <laughs> yeah. My Instagram, I posted on my Instagram, how many calories I burnt. So let me just go through that. Yeah. I think it was a, obviously it was a shit ton of calories. So, so when I was just while you're looking, I'll fill the time. This is something stupid I would do. I was, I ran a marathon by myself in the country over COVID and I got obsessed with weighing myself before and after. Right. So I would weigh myself and I would lose six pounds. I'd start like 167. I'd end like 161. And you're like, I just lost fucking six pounds running 11 miles. And it just really makes you think about like, and whatever the calories were like a thousand. And I'm like, that's not enough to burn six pounds. It's all straight water weight, you know? Yeah. But it made me really realize like how much extra I have in my body. Right. Right. It's a, I mean, you need that, you need that water for sure. (laughs) But it was 31,000 calories, five, 31,507 calories that I burned. Damn. Over a hundred, less than two. This is important to emphasize and less than 120 hours. (laughs) Yeah. 31,000 calories. How many, how many burgers is that? How much is a Big Mac? Like 600, is it a thousand calories? I don't know. I always round up to 15 with the fries. If you get a burger, (laughs) if you get a burger with some bacon, good sauce on it, some fries, that's 1500 calories right there. Yeah, so that's 10, that's 20 burgers. That's not a lot. Think about the average American diet, 20 burgers. Fucking run the Moab 240. You get to eat 20 burgers for the month. (laughs) The funny thing is I ate a lot of burgers throughout that because that's what they feed you actually. I bet. Like a lot of bacon, a lot of burgers, like quesadillas, a lot of cheese. Yeah. Yeah, dude, do you have fat. like a diet that makes you feel right? Yeah, I do. Um so I just finished I just I just DNF, which means I did not finish uh uh Tahoe 200. And um and so I was like at mile 85 and like I got really bad stomach cramps and um, I ended up getting food poisoning during the race. And like I was fucked up for like <laughs> almost two weeks after the race because of like my stomach poisoning or my food poisoning. Um, but after that race, I really decided like it's time for me to like be a little more serious and more like calculated and more um, intentional about how I was eating. But before that, I was eating very clean. I was eating a lot of quinoa and kale and um chicken and turkey you know hummus and chips and those were like and like avocados and that was like my staple when i was training for the mob 240 
but then post to 240 i've been eating a lot less like i've been eating like more fatty fatty foods a lot more butter a lot more like beef and bacon and pork and a lot more fruits and a lot less um a lot less grains and bread like i i haven't had much bread and rice and grains in a long time and probably like the last two months you're feeling what effect because of that um i've been feeling I've, i've also been fasting more and i've been feeling lighter I've been feeling more energized. I have more like sustained energy and I don't um, have as much cravings anymore. Like I completely stopped drinking coffee since I haven't drank drinking coffee in almost two months. Um, and I just feel, I just feel like healthier through it. Less breads. So like mm-hmm. I'm at this I've... weird point in my life where I'm trying to figure out the whole bread thing. Normally, my my normal breakfast is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like that's yeah. every day, Monday through Friday, breakfast. Right. And in the summer, I'm able to get up and work out versus get up and go to work. So if I get up mm-hmm. and go to work, I feel like I have to eat breakfast. Where if I can get up and like go for a run and work out a little bit, I can like skip breakfast and not even notice it. It's pretty amazing. And it really made me consider like, yeah. why am I eating so much bread? And like, are, are the carb sugars addicting? Is it really triggering something in me? So that's interesting you mm-hmm. say that. Because you would think the complete opposite for ultra runner. You would want carbs yeah. like crazy. Well, so my, I have a coach. He's a Michael McKnight. And he's, a, they call him the low carb runner. And he's all about fasting and eating like, this keto diet, but he's also like one of the best ultra marathon runners, um, in America. And he, uh, he, he once ran a hundred and I think it was 117 miles completely fasted. Like he didn't have any calories throughout the entire run. And, um, and he's able to do that through his diet. And he, um, he's all about butter. He's all about heavy cream and he's all about like, meat mostly he doesn't do a lot of carbs <laughs> he he eats some carbs but he's just very low carb um just so that he can go through keto and he kind of like inspired this idea for me because you know he's uh, he has like he's won the moab 240 he's won the tahoe 200 he's won the bigfoot 200 and he has all of these like different accolades that really like lend himself to being his best runner but at the end of the day i'm realizing that the best runner for yourself can be totally, will need a different diet than, That's, than a different person. I was literally about to ask, and I don't know scientifically how to even ask the question, but I want to say blood work. And I feel like, have you ever gotten like blood work done or anything like that to be like, what is the best nutrient for my body? What does my body react to well? Literally... Um, I just got my blood work done this morning <laughs> for that because, purpose. No, just because like, <laughs> like I've been feeling, feeling kind of low lately. So I've been trying to figure out what's going on. So I just got my like testosterone checked out, my cortisol, um, and a bunch of other things checked out. And, um, I haven't got my blood checked out for like what I should be eating as a like, naturally, but I don't know if that's a thing. Is that a thing? I feel like that's a thing. I feel like NBA, 
I want to say Mark Cuban was into this where different bodies react different ways to different foods. And if you can figure that out, it's a huge preventive maintenance for um, lowering pharmaceutical and medical costs. Dylan, man, I don't know if it's the universe or if it's my schedule telling me that um, we might as well call it because it's 12 o'clock East Coast time and I am a... Jesus. Yeah, I'm giving up. Uh, I got open gym with some kids tomorrow morning. I got to get up at six. So we'll see how much of my inner bitch I can uh, be down <laughs> to get yeah. a little workout in. Um, So I'll put any kind of descriptions and stuff in the, or any kind of links in the pod's description. Do you want to give shout outs to anything as we're ending up? I know I just put you on the spot. Sorry. Um. Yeah, definitely shout out to... uh. At run, uh, at John at run Johnji. It's like one of my uh, sponsors, for sure. And um, at tribe Hawaii, which is my personal brand. And and then a shout out to Sean O'Grady for being so fucking awesome. <laughs> Send him all the money you can through Patreon. It'll go straight to his <laughs> kids' college fund. <laughs> All right, man. Um, Dylan, sorry for the weird internet thing, but I knew it was going to come up. You fucking, you people, you man. called it. Once you get more than like a thousand miles away, internet for some reason does not want you to talk FaceTiming for uh, multiple hours. And it's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for, for talking with me. It's, it's so good to hear from you and, you know, keep, keep doing good shit, man. Yeah, we'll see, man. It's all time related. If I'm uh if I go out for my Moab two forty training and um the podcast comes to my mind, I know it's a priority. <laughs> but if not, it may just end. <laughs> you uh you're pretty um well known like amongst my friends, like random people that I um that I know they're like, Oh, you know uh, you know Sean? Like I know Sean. I'm like, well, that's nuts. Yeah, I wonder how much is like the weird social media algorithm thing where you just get more people that you're somehow like or you're following. Maybe, but some friends that I like randomly met at like Moab 240 said that they had a friend who was on your podcast too. So it's like that's yeah, super small world. Yeah, well, that's the cool thing that I've noticed too is those communities or those tribes. Like, mm-hmm. so I've had a couple different runners on. Actually, one ultra runner I had on, she was also on like Naked and Afraid. Um, but like, you just start talking to people who do weird shit, and it's like, yeah, there's just a group of people who do weird shit and they congregate together. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's what happens. The groups are always pretty small for interests, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Sure. Dude, good catching up with you. Can't wait to uh, continue just seeing you grow and develop. Can't wait till you're gray. I want to make fun of you someday <laughs> when you're gray. Maybe bald. <laughs> gray and bald. And fat. Nah, I, da- dude, I doubt fat. you'll ever be fat. There's some of us motherfuckers <laughs> that are just blessed with like active minds and decent metabolism. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> And fight that good fat fight, uh, Dylan. But uh, hey, man, it was good talking to you, brother. And uh, just want you to keep doing keep going keep keep doing good things, and uh, we'll be in contact. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it.
All right, enjoy your day. I'm going to enjoy my night. Yeah, have a good night. I'm going to go sauna and then try to be back here later. Good for you. All right. <laughs> Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.